This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Buckle in, friends. It's election day. Woohoo! Yeah! Go get your sticker. It's the day you get to go vote. And what's exciting is in one year you'll get to choose a president. But for the next year, we get to talk about him. Mm 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 mm. See, so around here. Isn't that great? There's no stickers anymore. Why? I got a sticker last year. Well, I mean, what, what they're trying to do in the. Uh... The area where we live is they're trying to make it all mail-in ballots. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right, do it over the mail so you don't have to go to the election polling. They get them back early. They can get them all tallied up and ready for oh, election but night. This, but then you'd lose the sense of community. Yeah, you don't get to walk in, see the... Hello, Judy. Yeah, the little old lady <laughs> behind the table and sign your name, get your sticker, get your striped banner <laughs> candy or whatever that go stuff try is. to figure out your little poll voting place. Ah, today's the day. So everybody, make sure you drive safely, but get to the polls. Vote. It's your civic duty. It's also, by the way, uh, November 3rd, Housewife's Day. So a, a tribute, a salute to all the housewives out there. And it's Cliché Day. One of the greatest days of all time. We're, we're, today we're going to try to use as many clichés as we possibly can in one show. Did you get my list I gave you? I did. I Good. did. Love that list. Uh, you know, but remember, we're the there, show where actions speak louder than words. There's a website I found that has a database of cliches organized uh-huh. alphabetically. Wow. You can just scroll through and look at all the I'm gonna, things I've that gotta, people I've got to find that because, really, the grass, folks, isn't greener on the other side. There we go. It is watered more. Fertilizer. Lots of Fertilizer. But not greener. So on the show, we'll be using as many uh, cliches as we can to help you seize the day. I think we normally do. We, I'm very cliche-oriented. I think we do it without much motivation. Mm-hmm. We don't need a special day. We just naturally have nothing else to say, apparently. Right. Well, especially <laughs> when we have a list of cliches that are alphabetized. Right. At the end of the day, we'll say a lot of cliches. Well, thank you. I just threw one in there. Just... Um, Hey, Ben, hmm. just stick to the board, pal. That's great. Just stick to the board. Thanks for joining the show. Whenever he like gets all excited and he stands up and pulls the mic close, you're like, oh, boy, what's he going to say? You know what? You can't please everyone. Oh, another cliche. Oh, yep, there he did it again. Anyway, you look at Ben. Ben's the kind of guy. You know, you can't judge a book by the cover. And Oh, there's another one. God, just slipped another one in there. Hey, uh, today um, also we're going to be talking about um, more and more allergies. Have you noticed you see more and more allergies out there? My son had a deviated septum. They went in. They <laughs> fixed the septum. That's how. That's the sound for septum fixing. Really? Yeah. It's the it's the universal sound. With a hacksaw? Is that what that was? It sounded it was like more like a. It was more like a. It was a blade. It, okay. it was like a like a plane. 
They just used okay. a plane. You know the plane, the hand plane. They used a hand plane on his septum and his nose. Just sort of sanded off the rough yeah. edges. Yeah, just and evened it out a little bit. Uh-huh. It was okay. like a PBS show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This they're making old, a boat. This old nose. This, this old, old nose. Yeah, this sure. old nose. And they're making a boat, and they they just shaved off some of his uh, his nose cartilage. And um, but the problem is he still can't breathe. So, <laughs> oops. But we're finding out it's because he probably has allergies. Ah. More and more people have allergies today. And it's not going away. And would you believe it? It could be because of all the use of antibiotics. We knew that antibiotics are causing these super bugs. You know, these horrible super bugs that we can't get rid of. It also may be impacting allergies. More and more allergies. You can't even take a treat to your kid's school class anymore because there's so many kids with allergies. Yeah variety of things. Do you remember when we grew up, it was just like, the only choice was like kosher or non. I mean... I don't even think that was like a that consideration was the only, where I was. It was just... Well, yeah, there's not is a lot good? of kosher in Utah. But, yeah. <laughs> but, but that was, there's only a few like choices. Now there's vegetarian and vegan, but now all of a sudden there's all the allergies, we, peanut allergies. I had a friend that had diabetes. He, uh, it developed in what, third grade. And so all the birthday treats, oh, there you go. people had a sugar-free option for him. Oh, that's great. I remember that. Yeah. Sugar-free was one. Yeah. And that was really the only consideration. Now you have people that are that's, sensitive to dairy, sensitive yeah. to grains, sensitive to everything. So now we just have birthday parties with water. Oh, but then you got fluoridation. Then it's who put fluoride in my water? Isn't life crazy? Also, we're finding out that it might be you might be better off if you lived on a farm, mm. because if you live on a farm, you apparently pick up more bacteria and germs, and you're, you're, you keep your micro junk in your micro gut. So it's the idea of letting your kid play in the mud. Yeah, kid. Hey, son, go play system. in the mud. So we're talking all things uh, allergies today. Huh. Stick with us on that. Dr. Avery August will be joining us from Cornell. Boy, smart dude. Holy cow. I watched that video. Yeah. Anyway, he lost me in like the third sentence. Have you ever done that where you watch something and you're like, oh, yeah, I don't understand this? And for literally 40 minutes or whatever, he kept going. You can learn anything, any skill, any task on the internet. Oh, yeah. There's a video somewhere. Someone has a tutorial. And there's multiple times where I'm like, I'm going to do this myself. That's how I learned to do the show. Right. Plumbing, all kinds of stuff. Oh, You're, yeah. I was trying to figure out some you know, automotive issues, and I start right. watching, and I'm like, ugh. No, he just took like the fourth thing out of that car. I'm done. Do you remember when At that we, point, I'm going to ruin something. Do you remember with Ben when we did that microsurgery? Yeah. We learned that on the web. He had that cyst, and you took care of it? I just grabbed that cyst. That was gross, but was I gross. mean, you know, you Made were- great video, by the way. You were helping out. <laughs> I hate it when Ben walks in, he's like, hey, can you check the cyst on my back? And I'm like, sure. I'm not that kind of doctor, but I'll do what he I goes, can. He goes, would you characterize this as festering or <laughs> no? Okay. Does this look swollen to you? And then um, you're like, hey, I saw this on a video on YouTube, and we pulled it up, and the next thing we knew, we were doing microsurgery on Ben's back. Oh. Hey, um, <laughs> poor Ben. You know, if anybody could see Ben's face right now, 
you'd know that he's so at peace here. We're going to uh, go to the headlines now. Terry, you got anything going on around the world? I do. Thanks, Matt. A senior U.S. defense official says an American infrared satellite detected a heat flash at the same time in the same area over Egypt's Sinai Peninsula, where a Russian plane crashed on Saturday, killing all 224 people aboard. The official told NBC News that U.S. intelligence analysts believe it could have been an explosion on the aircraft, either a fuel tank or a bomb. A local Islamic State affiliate claimed responsibility for shooting the Metrojet Airbus down, but the official said that infrared satellite would have been able to track a heat trail of a surface-to-air missile. U.S. Director of National Intelligence James Clapper is not ruling out terrorism at this point. We don't have any direct evidence of any um, terrorist involvement yet. So the investigation continues in Russia and Egypt into this crash. Ben Carson has the support of 29% of GOP primary voters nationwide. A new NBC Wall Street Journal poll has found the highest percentage of any Republican candidate uh, has had so far in the survey. Carson is trailed by Donald Trump at 23%. And with a surge in support, Marco Rubio is third with 11%. Rubio's numbers have tripled since September at the expense of Jeb Bush. So... That drama will continue as Florida fights over Florida. The unofficial alliance of Republican candidates standing up to the RNC and TV networks over debate rules seems to have fallen apart before it even got started. John Kasich, Carly Fiorina, and Chris Christie have all refused to sign the GOP letter proposing debate changes. Their campaign said Monday night, Donald Trump will reportedly start working directly with TV networks to negotiate Republican primary debate formats and content. This from an anonymous Republican source to the Washington Post. President Obama addressed the GOP candidates issue dealing with the CNBC moderators at a Democrat Nash, uh, Democratic uh, fundraiser last night. You know, Obama's weak. Putin's kicking sand in his face. When I talk to Putin, uh, he's going to straighten out. Just looking at him, I'm going to, he's going to be. And then it turns out They can't handle a bunch of CNBC moderators. (laughs) He goes on to say he doesn't think that China and Russia are going to pay much attention if you guys can't deal with TV (laughs) journalists. Yeah, if you can't take on CNBC, you may not be able to take on Putin. So it was pretty funny comments from him. I know that's going to play well on many different television networks. The next Republican debate (laughs) set for November 10th in Milwaukee, so you can mark your calendar and pay attention there. The Environmental Protection Agency issued another notice to Volkswagen on Monday, alleging that a whole new set of vehicles violated the agency's emission standards. This new allegation focuses on six-cylinder diesel engines, which the EPA claims had software installed that circumvented emission testings. The defeat device was also found in four-cylinder diesel engines as part of a September complaint from the EPA. So Volkswagen's problems continue. Mm. Uh, We've talked about this in the past, but tomorrow... According to my calendar, is Death to America Day. Oh boy! So we can uh, plan on celebrating that. Get the ribs. It's an unofficial. Uh, who who celebrates that? Well, the, I, I I tried to find out where that came from. Apparently, Ted Cruz, Senator Ted Cruz, yeah. at one point talked about they cel- They have this celebration. They have a holiday in, in Iran where they they oh, celebrate yeah. the hostage situation with in the nineteen seventy nine is that when that was that's when they were released right. so during that period they celebrate that time in Iran they have uh, remembrances whatever types of uh, gatherings and he says they celebrate the day it's like their Independence Day and it, it, it's turned out that it's not that uh, official 
A radio station in Iran in 1987 said, let's declare it Death to America Day and celebrate mm. this. So the government and the, the people don't actually <laughs> celebrate it in that name. But uh, the, uh, the, uh, the supreme leader of Iran, the Ayatollah, said uh, Tuesday that exclamations of death to America refer to dislike for American policies, not an actual wish for destruction of the country. Yeah, totally. Okay, good, good, so the, good. he reportedly discussed the slogan while meeting with students for the anniversary of the Iranian hostage crisis. The aim of the slogan is not death to American people, he said. The slogan means death to U.S. policies and arrogance. Yes. Well, that's an easier line. Death to America is easier than death to U.S. policies, policies and, and arrogance. Day. Yeah, it's, it's more of a chant versus a phrase. It just seems like a weird day. I mean, we talk about a lot of weird days. Yeah. But death to American policies and arrogance day just doesn't have a uh, a ring to it. I just don't see it's that. It's a good t-shirt. Yeah, I can't see that at, at Disneyland. Not catching on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what? Sometimes people hate you. Even when you're a good person. Anyway, interesting, uh, interesting news. Well, we're not celebrating death to American policies and arrogance day. We're not going to do that. We're going to instead celebrate Housewife's Day and Cliché Day um, and also National Sandwich Day. I'm going to have to cancel a shirt order. Oh, you ordered the shirt? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, young kids, just so gullible. (laughs) Oh, Ben, what are we going to do with you? Hey, uh, coming up in just a minute, if you have been noticing that uh, your kids, they have tons of allergies, guess what? There, uh, there's some research out showing why that may be happening, and it might be more about your the antibiotics use that you've used in the past. Uh, they may be causing more and more allergies. You know, nationwide, allergies are on the rise. Asthma is on the rise. Rhinitis is on the rise. Food allergies are up 8%. And it might simply be our antibiotics overuse. So stick with us. In just a minute, Dr. Avery August will be joining us from Cornell University. We're talking about uh, the overuse of antibiotics and its impact on allergies. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you uh, get the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Have you ever signed up to take food into your child's uh, classroom for uh, for a party or even to take something to the office? And it seems like more and more difficult to uh, to provide food that's allergy-free. The American Academy of Asthma, Allergy, and Immunology found that some 40 to 50% of school children are sensitized to one or more allergens. In fact, it's not even just food allergies anymore that have increased. The most common allergy increase has been skin-related, such as eczema, which has gone up 10 to 17%, and respiratory allergies like asthma and rhinitis that have gone up 10%. 
with food allergies being about 8%. So why are we seeing such an increase in allergies, and what can we do to prevent uh, further spikes? Joining us today uh, on the phone is Dr. Avery August, who's a professor of immunology and the chair of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Cornell University. Dr. August is an expert in allergies, and he's here to talk with us more about the trends we're seeing and a recent article that he posted called uh, that was titled Antibiotic Overuse Might Be Why So Many People Have Allergies. Dr. August, welcome to the show. Good morning, Matt. Thank you for having me on the show. You bet. We're honored to have you, and I, I love uh, – I love speaking to people that know that know what you're talking about. And I watched a video of you yesterday, and you you lost me in the third line. That's just <laughs> well, how it's I'm how complicated. No, it's no, it wasn't. I don't think you were talking to my uh, intellect level. Um, here's the deal, though, Doctor August. It seems like, and you you correct me. Um, are are there more and more allergies? Are, are we are people suffering more? from allergies, um, or, or what's going on with this? Because I'm seeing it everywhere now. People are allergic to everything. Yes, uh, in, at least in the developed countries, the U.S., Europe, we, we definitely have seen a huge increase that's really been difficult to explain in terms of allergies and related symptoms of allergies, asthma, eczema, as you mentioned, hmm. et cetera. In the, and it's interesting in the developed countries. Um, so, and, and I know in one of your articles, um, it also talks about in the inner city versus farms. If people live on farms, I guess they're they're less they're less likely to have such allergies. Yes, that's been quite interesting. A number of studies have been done both in Europe and the U.S. where they've shown that if you grow up on a farm and you're exposed to all the things that you normally do growing up on a farm, taking care of the animals, working in hay, working outside then you're much less likely to develop allergies and asthma than kids who grew up in inner cities who are not exposed to that wide diversity of, you know, outside exposure, bacterial, you know, just normal bacteria in the soil, et cetera. Yeah, that is so interesting. It's almost stereotypical, isn't it? I, I grew up in the city. My family all had cousins out on the farm. They looked at me like I'm just this weakling that was <laughs> in the inner I mean, in the city, but also had asthma. And Man, if I had only just stayed out on the farm. Could have changed something to that stereotype. It is, huh? Talk about uh, the impact, though, that antibiotics and the overusage of antibiotics. What what is that doing exactly with allergies uh, going up? So what we're finding is, you know, we're we're really now appreciating how much of our bodies are actually made up of micro microbi- microbiomes, which is the bacteria, the normal bacteria that's found on our skin in our gut. Matter of fact, it's been excellent that we're actually more bacterial than we are human, hmm. based on the, the number of bacteria that we actually harbor, normal bacteria, and they're, they're beneficial. Uh, and in some cases, they help us digest food, but in this case, they actually train our immune system so that our immune systems know how to respond when we get exposed to things like allergens. Huh. And so if we use, if we overuse uh, antibacterial agents, um, which are very helpful, but if we overuse them, then we end up reducing that beneficial microbiome and so our immune system aren't instructed in the proper way. Hmm. Is, that, is that the hand cleansers too? That's the antibiotics and hand uh, cleansers? The hand cleansers haven't, they, the studies have not been done on the hand cleansers. Okay. They have been done on the sort of oral antibiotics where, you know, we, we, we get treated for, for basically infections that don't, aren't treated by antibiotics, viral infections like colds. Antibiotics have no effect on colds, but yet some, sometimes we, we get uh, prescribed for those particular antibiotics. And so when we remove those normal bacteria, then we, we have a, Huh. So we really are in a, in an effort to supposedly 
be healthier taking antibiotics, we we're destroying the kind of the bacterial, the the uh, the gut microbiome that that protects us. That's correct, and and you know there, there's definitely a balance that needs to be struck there. Clearly, we need to if you have a serious infection, you do need to take antibiotics. Um, but if you take antibiotics too often or too long, uh, then you start disrupting that that uh, balance between the normal normal bacteria and whatever bacteria you're infected with, huh. and it has long-term consequences not just for development of antibiotic resistance in the bacteria themselves, but also on our health in terms of allergies. Well, and. This is this is scary, right? I mean, it's funny because we're just barely, apparently, getting a lot of the research on this, aren't we? And and yet, we, how do you stop doing this? You need antibiotics in certain situations. So, what uh, what does the future look like with this? Yes, no, it is scary, and this is you know this is very recent work. You know, we're still trying to work out exactly which bacteria are really critical for for uh, the beneficial parts of our immune systems. Uh, you know, how long we should be treating with, with antibiotics. Um, and, you know, in some cases, whether probiotics may be a useful thing right. to sort of replenish this, the, uh, the normal bacteria that we have that we may be getting rid of when we take antibiotics for the long term. Short-term treatments of antibiotics are not a problem. Uh, it's just, uh, in some cases, the, the, the period within which we get the antibiotics, in terms of the age of your uh, young kids, for example, might be more susceptible and, and prolonged treatment of antibiotics might be a problem. Hmm. Is it? Um, I mean, I know, another thing that I learned in your article is is the fact that how doctors prescribe. Um, I, there was a statistic you mentioned that said I think it was ten percent of doctors prescribe ninety five percent of antibiotics. Yes, that was quite striking. That's crazy. Most physicians are are sort of very aware of the need to protect antibiotics for the proper use, but there's a small population of physicians, and, and this may be under pressure from parents or under pressure from their patients, who basically you know, give out uh, prescriptions willy-nilly in a sense, yeah. uh, in, in that they, whatever condition someone comes in, they may be giving an giving antibiotic when it's not really called for. Is it, um, and it, this might just simply be too because we're such a, we're more educated as a population, so now we might go in pushing the doctor to give us the meds where before the doctor would give us the meds as he thought we needed it. Exactly. And, when, you know, you might think, well, you know, something must be wrong with me, so I, I must leave this, this office with a, with a prescription. Right. And so, you know, some, some physicians might feel pressure to give that prescription even though thinking that it, you know, it really won't hurt, but in, in, in the end, it hurts in two ways. It, it sort of drives the development of antibiotic resistance in the bacteria, and it also changes the nature of the immune system and, our, and interactions with Wow, um, and uh, it's funny because that's such a we don't we don't necessarily think of that. I mean, how many times has somebody just said, "I don't I don't know if I'll use it, but just give me the prescription," and I may not even use it. Um, yeah. we're, we're, it's like it's almost like, yeah, I don't want to not have it. You yeah. know, you know. So we feel like it, it, it's it's sort of a, a, our backup plan that we we should have it just in case, right? <laughs> Man, oh, we're messed up, Dr. August. <laughs> this is big trouble. Let's do this. Let's take a break um, and come back and continue the discussion. We're speaking with Dr. Avery August from Cornell University, and uh, he's giving us some insight here about uh, our allergies and what might be driving the increased uh, incident of al- allergies. Uh, Dr. August is the professor and chair of the Department of Microbiology and Im- Immunology at Cornell University. We'll take a break, come back, and continue the discussion. Stick with us, folks, doing what we can to help you live longer 
and uh, healthier lives. Uh, stick with us. More right here on The Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. You know, you may notice that uh, your kids have more allergies than maybe you did growing up and uh, even your grandkids. But uh, what is the deal with the increase, the spike in allergies? We're speaking with uh, an expert on the subject, professor and chair of the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Cornell University. Dr. Avery August is joining us. He's also um, the uh, author of an article entitled Antibiotic Overuse Might Be Why So Many People Have Allergies. And he's here just uh, talking about the connection between our um, antibiotic use or overuse and um, and the increase in allergies. Dr. Avery August, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Mike, for having me. You bet. Uh, seriously, it's it's a pleasure to, to learn from you. Talk about... Um, so the the overuse of antibiotics, it's you said earlier, it's something I think that's fascinating is the fact that we, as humans, we're more bacterial than we are human. And then we start taking all of these antibiotics, which are killing bacteria that are healthy bacteria that we need. Um, maybe teach us a little bit more about what the bacteria does uh, in connection with the with our immune system. So th- this is a, a very interesting topic and one that there's really, really very active research going on right now. I mean, what we do know is uh, that almost all of our bodies have different types of bacteria. We, of course, know that in our mouths we have bacteria, in our gut we have bacteria, in our skin we have bacteria. But what we're finding out is that our lungs have bacteria and different tissues have bacteria. And in each of these organs, there are unique bacteria that seem to have developed be able to live in those areas, and they provide protection, one, against other bacteria that might try to invade us. For example, the bacteria are occupying what's called a niche, an area, and in occupying that area by growing in that area, they prevent other bacteria from coming in that might, that might be infectious agents that might uh, infect us, pathogenic bacteria. So that's one protective effect of bacteria. The other protective effect of bacteria is the way they interact with our developing immune system uh, during um, development. As, we, as we're growing, our immune systems start to pull out specific types of cells that are very important for fighting off infection. And if those cells don't interact with bacteria, then they're not tuned properly to respond when we do have a real infection. And, and so these immune, system, these immune system cells have to interact with the bacteria over a certain period, over a certain window during our development. And that allows them to sort of determine what's good and what's bad. Hmm. Um, and so if those bacteria are not there when they're developing, uh, such as when we're, we're younger, then the immune system cells are not tuned in the proper way. And so we're now when we get exposed to normal things that we get exposed to every day, pollen, food products, uh, proteins from food, then they not, they're not tuned in a proper way, and so they now respond, uh, giving us things like allergies. Hmm. I mean, so if, we're still trying to... Go ahead. No, go ahead. We're still trying to figure out, you know, there's now a human microbiome project that's being uh, developed to try to map all of the bacteria in all of the different uh, oh, wow. organs and tissues of our bodies to try to get a handle as to this problem, uh, this issue, not a problem. Yeah. Um, but the idea is really that, that these bacteria are there uh, and they're being beneficial and, and we're 
just now noticing that they're, they're really important. Well, it's, it's interesting. We had um, a BYU professor on a few weeks ago that was talking about these superbugs and they um, – like, like MRSA – and they had found um, one of the ways to kill MRSA was using these other healthy bacteria that we all have on our bodies that, so it doesn't harm us, but it would actually kill the MRSA. And it was a combination of all this other – like you know, 10 or 20 other bacteria together could attack MRSA without harming a human. And yeah, it's just amazing that we, we – how much we need the bacteria and yet we hear of people – you know, that are telling us to get rid of the bacteria in our gut. We have so much bacteria in our, and you're thinking, what? This, that, we seem to need them. They've, they've been helping us forever. Yes, it's, re- it's really quite interesting. As a matter of fact, in studies that have been done with mice, um, they've been able to raise mice completely bacterial free. And these mice have really, really disrupted immune systems. They oh. naturally, spontaneously develop allergies, they develop autoimmune disease. Uh, we really need to have these bacteria around you to educate our immune systems and what's right in terms of uh, what's normal and what's pathogenic in terms of things like MRSA. Well, and then it seems like, um, I guess, are some antibiotics, I mean, I, I can see a child that needs antibiotics because of uh, something, you know, that's going on um, with a chest cold or a, not a cold, but a chest, I don't know. Um, like an infection. Like an infection in their, in their lungs. But then that same bacteria or that same uh, antibiotic that they're taking could also be killing the healthy, protective bacteria that you already have in your lungs. Yes, that, that's correct. Uh, and clearly there are, you know, I think what we need to distinguish are respiratory infections particularly that are bacterial-based, mm-hmm. that it's caused by a bacteria, and those that are viral-based. And in some cases, they come together. Sometimes we get infected with a virus, and that virus sets stage for now overgrowth of some bacteria that's normally present but in low numbers. Right. And that can cause a problem. So in that case, we do need to get rid of the bacteria or reduce the numbers of bacteria using the antibiotics. Then our immune systems can come in and take care of the rest. Yeah. But if we just take an antibacterial agent for just a viral infection, then what we're actually doing is reducing the normal bacteria and allowing the virus to continue to grow because antibiotics don't affect virus. Right, right. And so now we, we set the stage for this, this disruption of this homeostasis that's occurring between our normal bacteria and our immune system. Is there, is there a mix? It seems like um, earlier you were talking about the fact that living on a farm and just the, the fact that you situationally are living in an area where you're being exposed to more, I guess, bacteria. Um, is, is, is some of this then the fact that we're doing antibiotics more than ever before? And is some of this also environmental? Is there a genetic aspect to um, these allergies? What other, in, what other things influence uh, our allergies? So clearly there is an, a, a genetic component to allergies. Uh, but given the, the rise that we've seen in allergies within the U.S. and other countries, uh, our genes aren't changing. Yeah, no. Uh, and so the things that's changing is our environment where we're living and the things that we're, we're ingesting, things like antibiotics uh, and other things that might disrupt uh, the normal uh, interaction between our bacteria and our immune system. Um, but clearly there are individuals who are genetically predisposed to allergies and, and you know, there's not much that can be done uh, from the perspective of reducing antibiotics that might change that. But that's a small percentage of individuals. Right. Uh, most individuals are not genetically predisposed. Yeah. Most is- 
is it is it is it the food too? I mean, I guess uh, we hear a lot of uh, the fact that some of our um, our animals might be injecting being injected with um, antibiotics as well. Our food sources are have antibiotics injected into them. Is is that part of where we're getting the antibiotics as well? So generally, food uh, that's sold for human consumption has to be free of antibiotics. Okay. That's tested by you know the the the, um, the USDA and other agencies. And so I don't think we're getting antibiotics in the food. Um, but, of course, antibiotics is overused within the animal industry, both as a growth promoter mm-hmm. as well as to, to reduce, you know, infections in, 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 the, in the housing of, uh, of animals for, for food production. Uh, and that can also re- result in the release of antibiotics into the, the, the um, runoff. And that can lead to the development of antibiotic resistance in normal bacteria, which can then be picked up Interesting. by humans. And then that becomes... Yeah, so, so it's part of the the overall picture of antibiotic overuse, um, but not directly in terms of uh, antibiotic residue in food that we eat. What do you suggest, Doctor August, that uh, we do as so as you know everyday parents trying to create the healthiest family we can? What are some solutions we should be looking at to combat this increase in allergies and antibiotic yeah. use? No, well, I mean what I would suggest is you know as parents we. Have our kids do what we did growing up, play outside, um, you know, try not to, to, um, to worry too much about keeping them as clean as possible. And then the other thing is if your kids uh, get in, uh, respiratory infections, uh, be very circumspect and, and be very careful when you go to the physician to make sure that, you know, it's, you're just not given an antibiotic just because that's what, you know, uh, is done for some kid coming in with a cough. Right. Uh, to make sure that it's, it's being used in the proper way. So that we can, you know, we can preserve the use of antibiotics for, for, for the proper um, indications and also reduce um, the, the, the fact that we're reducing the normal bacteria to maintain that healthy relationship between the bacteria that we have and our immune system. Is there a way that we can know if our doctor is on the 10% of overprescribers? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I'm, I don't think that that particular study included uh, where the doctors were. Um, yeah. But, you know, you ask, ask questions, uh, you know, at your physician. And physicians, most physicians don't mind uh, talking to their patients about what it is that they're doing and why is it that they're uh, prescribing antibiotics. And if you feel that you're getting a prescription too quickly, then you might want to ask the question, to, you know, whether there are other things that, that one can do. You bet. Well, we appreciate you. Again, uh, Dr. Avery August um, from Cornell University. And thank you for your insight. Keep up the great work and... and uh, Go that that human bio biome. What was what you call it? Gut? Human microbiome project. Mi- microbiome project. Good luck with that as well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Thank you, Doctor August. Great stuff. I mean, folks, we gotta. We're just barely learning this, right? We're just barely figuring this out. Think of how many antibiotics you took as a kid. Do you remember those? Na- and you had to finish it. Remember, we got to keep taking them. Got to finish the process to fully kill. That infection. Well, did you know it was also maybe taking a number out on your uh, on your own bacteria? We'll take a break, folks. Come back. Uh, interesting stuff. We'll do a little coach's corner when we come back. You won't believe this one, but the research uh, says that your cat may actually be thinking about killing you. Wow. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Man, life's not as safe as it used to be, is it? We'll be right back.
Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Hey, in this Coach's Corner, I wanted to uh, update you on a few uh, of the latest studies. If you have a kitty cat, here, kitty, 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 kitty. Uh, You may be into this story. Apparently, researchers from the Bronx Zoo and the University of Edinburgh in Scotland have come to the conclusion that your cat has some serious emotional issues. Oh, geez, that's scary. Basically, they're saying your cat may be more deranged than people realize. Some cats they found had hardcore um, dominance, agreeableness, and self-control as their key traits, okay? So some cats, and by the way, I mean, think this through, uh, you know, cats are the same family of as the wild cat, right? That wild animal cat that, you know, would rather eat you than just have you rub its belly. So what they found, though, is with domestic cats, traits like dominance, impulsiveness, and neuroticism are their key traits, Yeah, let's do that one more time. (laughs) Domestic cats showed traits of dominance, impulsiveness, and neuroticism as their key traits. So neuroticism, right? Like not balanced. Always worried. Constantly thinking someone's out to get them, to crush them, to destroy them. They found that domestic cats, uh, their traits ran from anxious, insecure, tense, suspicious, and fearful of people. Weird. They have a lot of anxiety, insecurity, tension, suspicion, and fear of people. So that is your cat, according to the researchers. Now, yours is different, obviously. Yours is more stable, less neurotic. But if you notice, your cat is pretty dominant, pretty impulsive, and neurotic, meaning anxious, insecure, tense, and suspicious. If, if that is your cat, if it were just a little bigger, you'd be dead. <laughs> Researchers continue by saying that cats agree to live with you because it's a mutually beneficial proposition, not just because they love you so much. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to make you hate your cat, but I would sleep with one eye open because your cat's got some issues. Well, I think everybody knows that their cat's planning something. You know that. I mean, they, they're they just different than a dog. You know, a dog really, honestly, truly, it would rather be there than anywhere. Your cat, you know it looks at you like, who do you think you are? Yeah. So, like, probably in their cat kennel, they're like the, the day's... Yeah. Like they've, they've been in captivity. Yeah, they just keep under. scratching little marks, crossing it out every five. He's just biding time. But uh, your cat, according to uh, this researcher, uh, an anthrozoologist declared that your feline thinks that you're just one big stupid cat as part of the research. They just really think you don't know what you're doing because they're so focused on their dominance. And um, others have interpreted the study from the Bronx Zoo and the University of Edinburgh as saying that your cat actually might want to bump you off. Yes, kill you, eat you, that sort of thing. 
The study is entitled Personality Structure in the Domestic Cat, Felis Silvestris Catus. Tell me that doesn't sound like a bad Tom and Jerry cartoon. Um, Scottish wildcat Felis Silvestris Grampia and clouded leopard. They, these are all the cats they studied. The domestic cat, the Scottish wildcat, and the clouded leopard. Leopard, Snow leopard, of course. He didn't want to miss that one. And the African lion. And they found out that overall these cats tend to share a lot of traits. But uh, the traits they noticed most in the felines and the domestic cats were dominance, impulsiveness, and neuroticism. And neuroticism creates some other <laughs> problems for you, right? Like they're more anxious, insecure, tense, suspicious, fearful. Usually in the cat world, that means you're going to die. <laughs> that is a nasty cat. That cat that cat's needs to be fixed. Or put down. No, keep it. We don't want to harm any animals on the show. Just whatever. Hey, um, so don't worry about it. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Also, earlier we were talking with Dr. Avery August about um, overuse of antibiotics and how it might be impacting your allergies. Um, but one of the things I guess I just would love to advise all of us, it used to be, and this is a big thing you've, we've talked about with the millennials. You know, the millennials are, they, they don't respect the institutions like the rest of us do. Uh, historically, again, that's a general generality, but the research is showing that uh, ages 18 to 34-year-olds today, they're less inclined to buy into all the institutions, to buy into church, to buy into government, to buy into even the medical profession, um, which might be a smart thing for a lot of us to do now is to n- not just not buy into it, but but ask some questions. So some things, just some tools that I would suggest you take to your doctor. Don't just go there and hope that they are going to ans- answer all your questions the right way. Maybe go read ahead of time. Be a little bit more prepared. Be more equipped. Study. Study it out. Figure out what's going on on your own. Um, I've just seen it with this grandbaby being born. I mean, a lot of us don't know what we're doing in hospitals anymore. And what I saw happening in hospitals 20 years ago, we're not doing anymore. Just simple basic treatments that were core back in the day, we don't even do anymore. So if you want to have uh, better success with your doctors, make sure that you are getting some of the – you're doing some of your reading yourself. If you've been diagnosed with some disorder, if you've been diagnosed with something, make sure you're reading about it too. Don't just take their little pamphlet as the only way of getting information. Get online. Start reading about it. Start reading about other solutions. Start having conversations with your doctor. They really – are good people that would like to talk to you about some of your issues. They're not always just there to make you, you know, feel uncomfortable as you're sitting there in an awkward gown that's blowing in the wind. But also, if you're reading ahead, planning ahead, thinking ahead, have write down your questions before you go in and ask the right questions. Before they just prescribe something, ask them, especially about the antibiotic use. Talk to them about, uh, you know, maybe we ought to not automatically start with an antibiotic. Is there some other way to not just start with antibiotics? Um, But make sure you're asking more questions. There is a a lot of research about the fact that um, a lot of us are way too timid with our doctors. 
you know, they're the ones in authority. They're the ones in the high position and you're just the sickling. But if you're not strong at that, can I just suggest then you get somebody in your family that is? I've seen uh, a person's health change dramatically simply by sending someone else that's a little bit more uh, extroverted maybe, a little bit more talkative to their appointments with them. Just send someone else that's going to ask the right questions. Uh, make sure you're always asking for alternatives and make sure you could – you're also asking if you are getting certain drugs or medicines, ask for the no-name brands, right? No reason to pay the highest price. But ask for other alternatives. Are there other ways to do this? Are there second or third you know, options that we could look at? Um, and make sure you have an active plan going on. And also make sure you're, you're willing to, if you need to, if the, you get a big you know, medical you know, diagnosis, there's no problem with getting a second opinion. It's all worth it in the end. It's all worth it in the end. But most of all, let's have our kids eat more dirt. That's what we've learned today. More dirt never hurt anybody. <laughs> More bacteria. You know, we don't always have to clean their hands after every single situation. Let it thrive. Let the bacteria grow. That's the Matt Townsend Show. Hour number one. It's in the can. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more ideas to help you grow healthier, live longer. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to grow a healthier, happier life for you and your family. None of us came with an owner's manual, and so except for Terry. I did. Uh, Terry did. It just Uh, said feed me. It said feed me food here with an arrow to your mouth. That's all that's needed. It's a very basic thing. Um, uh, But the rest of us didn't, so we've got to figure it out. Today we will be talking about how to become an influential member of your industry. How to become a thought leader. So you see it all the time. There's associ- I, I speak for them almost every week, associations. You go there. There's a presidency. There's the association for your industry, maybe in your local area or nationwide. How to rise up and become an influential member of your industry. It will eventually pay off. Huge dividends. We'll be talking – about an article uh, by that title, How to Become an Influential Member of Your Industry um, and or Niche. Or, and it's a, an article that was in Inc. Magazine by Samuel Edwards. We have uh, Samuel will be on the phone with us in a few minutes. We're going to pick his brain, find out a bunch of tricks of the trade. And Ben, we're doing this mainly for you, my friend, because I want you to pick your game up. Yeah. Become a thought leader. At- I want you to lead the rest of the board operators here at BYU Broadcasting. I want you okay. to be the number one. Okay. I mean, you're definitely number one in a lot of the minds of our producers, which, you know, we have a lot of producers, female producers that think you're the bomb. You know, many of them don't know you. That, that's not super important. No. They've seen you from afar or maybe heard the rumors of you. Sure. Or maybe sure. even seen the back of my head. Yes, because yeah. you're always leaving. Yeah. Yeah. Like in the because of the I'm no. never invited to the meetings. 
But how how would how would he become a thought leader? How would he put forth? I, I guess you want to you know you assume it. You assume leadership. So he ought to just stand up. Oh, really? When they're all sitting in there, and there's like thirty students working on different shows, he ought to stand up and just say, "Hey, everybody, hey, hey, can I can I have your attention?" And then say something profound, like right then. Okay, maybe even in German. I wouldn't do German. I wouldn't go. I wouldn't. No. Don't, don't. No, you know, don't lead with German. Hmm. German's a great language. Don't get me wrong. But I wouldn't lead with it. Do, do you take leadership? Yes. Or, it, or do you – or is it given to you? It's earned. It's given. And it's taken. All of it. And I would just suggest wow. that Ben go take it. Just no. Ben, stand up. Say, can I have everyone's attention? As a leader of board operators – you just say that's, that's you assuming the position. Okay. As the leader of board operators, I just wanted to say this and then say something profound. I, If I were you, I'd drop a cliche or two. Well, I was going to say it might make people madder than a wet hen if I do that. But yeah, that's maybe. That's a weird cliche. That's a really weird – today, by the way, is cliche day. Hmm. That's a great title. Cliche day. Uh, you could say something like, look, hey, everybody, you know, you can't please everyone. You can only please yourself. You can only please yourself. But as somebody who right now is assuming leadership, I just want you guys to all know something because I get up early for the show. You might think I'm made of money, but that's yeah. your turn. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you the list of cliches so you don't have to make any up on your own. You just can just read the cliches that I will give you. You need the script. You need the script. So uh, is the position open? Which position? Board op thought leader. No. But we're inventing it. Is it See? currently occupied by someone is what I'm asking. No. We're, we're instituting a coup. Well, no. If no one's there, it can't be a coup. Yeah, I don't, if, if I don't this think... is a non-existent position, I want to know if there's going to be some sort of battle for the no. supremacy of the board op thought leader. I don't think anybody thinks there needs to be one. Okay. But I, I don't think that's important. We're just going to assume there needs to be one. Okay. And we're going to help Ben just assume so the, it's Ben. The with our, our next guest, you could talk about the idea of is this a position you create? Mm-hmm. Do you have to fill yeah. a fill a need that maybe somebody doesn't know they need yet? Yeah, in your industry, right? In Ben's sense, as a as a board op, because eventually we'll find out, Ben. It, it'll lead to speaking engagements. Ooh. It'll lead to you know everyone will call you to ask you what you think about this board op technique. Yeah, maybe even a movie, an inspirational movie. You, you, you could well, be one of those people that finds a use for LinkedIn. You could oh, publish on LinkedIn. You could do something. Yeah, you Most publish. people have no idea what to do with that. Right. But if you're a thought leader, you publish there mm-hmm. and other people follow your thoughts. People call you and then when they think, hey, we need to talk to the, the world's best board operator. Who do we call? Your name is instinctively who they call. BYU Radio. Ben Wozden. Yeah. There you Seven go. to ten. <laughs> anyway, you know, maybe, maybe, we're, maybe we're, yeah. we're picking a fight we can't win. Yeah, it sounds like an uphill battle. I mean, yeah. Even though there's no one in that position, it still sounds like an uphill battle. Mm-hmm. Hold on, what's what's that supposed to mean? We're rethinking this whole process. You know what? When I think about it, ignorance is bliss. Yes. You know what I mean? Anyway, we that makes me matter than a wet hen. There you go. It's again. cliche day, and uh, we're going to keep throwing cliches your way. And if you are looking for the uh, world's greatest board operator, give us about a year, and uh, we'll have one for you. <laughs> anyway, um, 
Before we go there, let's go to the headlines with Terry South. Terry, anything going on around the world? Yes. Good morning. The head of Russia's Federal Aviation Agency told Russian TV on Tuesday that claims of external influence on the crash of a Russian airliner in the Sinai Peninsula are not based on any proper facts. The comments from the government official contradict statements from the Russian carrier Metrojet, which on Monday blamed Saturday's midair breakup on an unknown force outside the aircraft. Separately, the president of Egypt dismissed claims that ISIS militants downed the plane as propaganda, reiterating that the Sinai Peninsula was in full control. He made this uh, comment during an interview with the BBC and warned against speculation, adding that the cause of the crash may not be known for months. After months of flying under the radar, Florida Senator Marco Rubio seems to finally be hitting his stride in the Republican presidential primary. A new Monmouth University poll of New Hampshire out Monday revealed that Rubio has tripled his support in the state since the poll was last taken in September. He now sits in third place with 13% of the vote, a significant jump from the mere 4% support in September. It says Marco Rubio's standout performance in the last debate seems to have paid dividends in a contest that was supposed to be dominated by his former mentor, Jeb Bush. Jeb Bush sits three spots behind his protege with just 7% support, a ranking that also puts him behind John Kasich and Ted Cruz. Now, Matt, do you know the name Lawrence Lessig? No. Lawrence Lessig? Lawrence Lessig, L-E-S-S-I-G. He was running... For the Democratic nomination for president. Right now he is or he was? He was. Oh, is he out of the race? He officially, as this puts it, a long-shot Democratic presidential candidate, an internet activist. Oh, boy. Lawrence Lessig suspended his 2016 campaign on Tuesday. Ugh. Lessig posted a video to YouTube. Now, I wanted to run for president as a Democrat because the values I champion are shared by all Americans, but especially by Democrats. But it is now clear that the party won't let me be a candidate, and I can't ask people to support a campaign that I know can't even get before the members of the Democratic Party. In the video, he detailed how the Democratic National Committee altered the rules of how you ah. get a, in, a, included in the debates. Like really? the, you, you have to be a polling at one percent in three national polls. Yeah, and they changed it so that you six weeks before the debate you have to be polling. Instead, it was just a few weeks before. So it changed it. Lessig possibly, he, had, he said he had two of the polls. Yeah. Was working on almost close to a third. Then they changed the rules. See, so so now which, he, which party's the most inclusive party? I don't know. It's the GOP. They let everybody run. Apparently. And I was watching, this was on, uh, I saw this uh, on several news sources last night. I'm like, who is this guy? <laughs> I had a, not even heard of him. He's an internet activist. Well, he, he I had, wish he had been able to stay in. That he he has an interesting TED Talk. Cool, I'm going to go watch it. As most people do. TransCanada, the company responsible for the planned Keystone XL pipeline, asked to suspend its permit application on Monday night. The decision comes ahead of expected rejection by the Obama administration while the company goes through a state review process in Nebraska, which it has resisted in the past. The State Department was in the final stages of reviewing the application, and a rejection is anticipated as soon as next week. A new Star Trek TV series will debut in 2017 as the first original series on CBS All Access, which is CBS's new streaming service. The first episode will premiere on the network, so on your 
over-the-air TV in January 2017. Then the series shifts to online exclusively. CBS says they expect to see new characters seeking imaginative new worlds and new civilizations while exploring the dramatic contemporary themes that have been a signature of the franchise since its inception in 1966. So Uh. something we all need, another Star Trek series. Yep. I, you know what? I've never gotten into that. Why is that? I don't know. Maybe you're just, just maybe, not cool enough. Or just maybe I'm just too down to earth. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, they, the last few they've put out have struggled. Last yeah. few Star Trek. Yeah. I don't know how this will do as you air it on over-the-air TV and then put it onto an internet service. You know what I think Kinda about limit your challenges. viewing audience at times. Uh, when I think of challenges like you know starting a new Star Trek uh, series, I always think you know what doesn't kill you, mm. it makes you stronger. It does. Cliche. It's, it's cliche day. It's a good cliche. Ding 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 ding. Hey, uh, we are going to uh, take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by um, an Inc. magazine contributor, um, Samuel Edwards, who's a speaker and search marketing. Uh, expert. He's also going to be talking to us about how to become an influential member of your industry or your niche, your, you know, your unique area um, of contribution in the world. And there is a reason for you to, to want to try to become more influential in your industry. If anything, it's just good for business. It also will stretch you. And uh, if it doesn't kill you, it will make you stronger, according to the, one of the top 10 cliches of all time. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, uh, we'll give you the tools you need to become more influential with those around you. This is The Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, while the term thought leader is grossly overused, uh, that and it's it's kind of lost its value, hasn't it? Um, the idea, though, that we need to become influential members of our industries have not that has not lost its uh, luster. Becoming an influencer is one of the most important things we can do to propel our careers. We just need to understand what the path looks like to becoming more influential. Uh, Samuel Edwards is a public speaker and a digital marketing specialist. He's also the author of an article we found in Inc. magazine that's uh, entitled How to Become an Influential Member of Your Industry or Niche. And he's uh, joining us now on the phone to give us some tips of uh, what we can do to become a more positive influencer. Again, we're so excited to have you here, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. This is – I love the article – it seems to me a lot of people get burnt out in their jobs. They don't quite they, – they can't keep that fire alive. And I, I've always wondered if if it's simply because we're no longer moving up. And you may have – you may not be able to move up in your in your – maybe your place of employment, but you can always move up more in your industry, can't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, certainly the case. Um, with some uh, specific industries that you're in, you know, it's a little bit harder and there's specific processes you have to go through. And um, the idea of burnout certainly does happen. So one of the main things that you have to look for when you're, you're starting to get burned out is to find uh, influencers within your own industry that uh, can not only help you learn and help you build, but can also help you become an influencer yourself. Oh, interesting. So the best way 
to becoming an influencer or more influential is is hanging out with an influencer. Yeah, exactly it. And so that's actually the case with a with a lot of people, um, especially with a group of my friends as well. You know, there's often times where you're just feeling like you're just stuck and like you're in this rut. So the idea about around around being around uh, positive people and people who are within the industry that could not only help propel your career but could also help you do the same to others. Um, is really important. So there's specific steps you can take in which uh, going about doing that. And so that's what the article discusses. That's great. And um, again, anyone can find the article. We'll put it, we'll post a link to it on our Twitter page, or they can find a, they can find it on your Twitter page. I think uh, you are at Samuel um, underscore Quincy, right? Correct. On Twitter. Talk to us about, uh, have you seen, is there a correlation between like work satisfaction and uh, you know, it being a positive influencer in the workplace? Yeah, I think so. I think that is the case. Um, I really think that attitude is everything. Um, you know, no one wants to go into a project and working with a, a grumpy Gus or a negative Nancy. Um, and so with when you have, you know, negative influences, um, it can cause internal conflicts and potentially delay progress on a specific project, um, just within my own experience. And so what a true influencer will do is take on a task that needs to be completed and work to find the smartest route to get it accomplished. And then, so in areas where there's something like grunt work or a menial task that needs to get completed, you know, there's there's no complaining about uh, getting the task completed or, oh, this is going to take so much time or finding obstacles for the task. Um, instead, they understand that the task being completed is really focused on uh, when it's completed, it's actually going to be a good and benefiting the whole group in itself. So um, that's really important um, within whatever industry you're in or whatever position or job you're in as well. It really is. It's something that there's probably just not one recipe, is there? There's there's just a bunch of levers that you kind of need to be pulling and figuring out as you go. Yeah, that's exactly the case. You know, there's there's no one direction in which you could take it. Uh, if you're finding that, you know, someone you're looking to – uh, get as an influencer isn't being you know necessarily helpful in the route you're you're looking for the industry you're in uh, no matter how limited will have uh, multiple heads in which you can go after and try to uh, uh, shadow. I mean that's cool, yeah. And then because even in in uh, associations or I mean I do a lot of speaking and and there's so many different places that I end up speaking that I don't think most of us as average people even know about. We don't even know that our industry may have um, an association meeting locally or like for HR people or for whatever or like speaking groups. I mean, there's so many different areas. What are some areas you suggest we look into to find these uh, thought leaders, these mentors that we could use? Yeah, that's a great question. And so I actually uh, went through that that same process about five or six years ago when I was, uh, you know, just starting in digital marketing and uh, looking to learn more about it. I just didn't know the proper resources. And it's interesting because I work a lot with search engines and search engine marketing. And uh, the the best place to look is simply a search engine. If you're looking for um, a good resource as far as uh, a blog or a specific um, industry leader that's writing about a specific topic, um, Googling it is, is really that simple. Mm. Um, also, if you're looking on Twitter, simply by finding, uh, putting in the, the main key terms of what you're looking for within Twitter will help you find the influencers in which you're trying to reach. Yeah. And, and I mean, too, I guess, talk to the people that, that influence you. So if you can go find your influencer, find out who's influencing them, right? 
Yeah, definitely. You know, everyone has a has a group of friends. They say that that you're the you're the sum of everyone you hang out with, and so uh, the, the five closest friends you have. And so that's exactly the case. You know, if your friends are uh, or someone you have or know is influencing you, definitely finding out who influences them as well is is really important. Um, I think the idea with influencers is that. Oftentimes, people, uh, from what I've noticed, uh, kind of have this ego where, you know, they, they have this mentality, especially younger people, uh, have this mentality of, I know everything, I don't need any help on this or that. Um, so the, the big thing that you really have to do when you're looking to find an influencer is put aside your ego and really uh, take into consideration that, one, you don't know everything, and two, you can always learn. So finding the right people to help you get to where you want to be um, is, can be as simple as just putting aside your ego. Do you do you sense that um, companies like it that you're kind of building your influence in the industry, um, or do they just want you to put your head down and work? You know, yeah, it, it seems like it seems like some businesses really they're not here to build you. Come on, Sam, <laughs> just build the company. Um, do do some executives look at this like you're trying to be more than you should be? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, that's actually a, it's a it's a growing pain that everyone as an individual has to figure out. And eventually you might find that those companies that um, aren't uh, allowing you or not, you know, uh, happy about you looking to be an influencer in the industry. Uh, it could be a case where you're just outgrowing that company to a point where they may be concerned that, you know, because you're becoming an influencer, you're going to have some other offers coming your way. So um, the, the real thing that I think is important is to work with, if possible, work with a company that's always going to be helping you. Even if you're reaching out and saying, hey, look, you know, I'm interested in attending this conference. I think it could add a lot of value to my position. Um, if you're in a position where you're able to do that and you have people who are respecting you and on top of that, um, looking to help you build yourself as a person, uh, that in, it, in, in its turn itself will help the company grow. And so me as a digital marketer, I've certainly found that doing you know, a number of uh, speaking engagements and radio engagements that uh, it actually does help. There's outreach coming out my way, which then in turn helps the company grow as well. Because really a lot of being an influencer is – I mean we were joking about it earlier on the show. It's not like somebody says, oh, yeah, OK, so who's the thought leader of this group now? It's just – it's the one that's – doing the thinking. It's the one that's putting your ideas and your concepts out there. Um, so it's it's not a role that someone assigns you to. It's a role you go take. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's not something that's just going to fall in your lap where you just wake up morning and you go, you know what, I'm a thought leader. You know, it's something <laughs> that has to be uh, propelled out there and you actually have to put a lot of effort into it. It doesn't just uh, come stumbled upon. It's There has to be um, actual effort being put into it and you have to be very methodical uh, and with intent. And so the idea of that um, as a result, as a thought leader, is that oftentimes you'll be giving a lot of your information out for free uh, to the masses. So you become a resource for them. And then eventually as time goes on, uh, whatever your service or charges, then you can work out a contract with them. But um, yeah, the, the main part of being the influencer is really understanding that you have to give, give, give with uh, very little expectation in return, if anything at all. It's so true. Man, do I know that. Hey, uh, let's do this, Sam. Let's take a break and come back and then let's get into your article. And I want you to walk through your seven points um, that, that are in the article about how to become an influential member of your industry. They really are they're vital uh, strategies, and each one of them can set you up in one way or another to either just influence your company or influence your entire industry. But it's, uh, it's interesting stuff. Stick with us. We'll have more uh, with Sam Edwards and his article in Inc. Magazine 
about uh, becoming an influential person right here after the break, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today uh, we are talking with Sam Edwards, who wrote an article in Inc. magazine um, entitled How to Become an Influential Member of Your Industry or Niche. And uh, uh, Sam is um, he's a, a digital marketing strategist. He's also worked with countless local businesses as well as large enterprises and companies and organizations, including the NASDAQ, eBay, Duncan Hines. You name it, man. Those are um, some great labels and brands uh, that you've been working with, Sam. Is that where you picked up some of these strategies? Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's very interesting. Uh, so I've worked both uh, in-house as well as for the digital agency side. So you, it's really interesting. You get interesting perspectives from, from both sides of it. So, yeah, yeah a number of these uh, strategies do come from uh, actual on-the-job learning within the ad industry within New York City. And then a lot of them actually do come from industry folk as well, people that I myself have learned from that I found influential. I mean, that's the thing about this digital industry is – I mean, everybody's got a podcast or a blog. Everyone's got books. But the reality is somebody – I mean, you're, we are all reading about our industries from somewhere and someone. And so that may as well be you. You may as well step up and become that thought leader. Talk to us about uh, how we do it. Let's start going through your seven points. One of the first points you make in the magazine article um, – is give, give, and give some more. What do you, what do you mean? Like, what what are we giving? Just our ideas? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. And similar to what we were talking about the, before the break, you know, when you're first starting off and you're looking to be influential, um, obviously, you know, you have to have a skill set or something that adds value. And so, when you're creating things such as case studies or uh, putting something from an interesting perspective, um, it's important to share that information with the masses. Um, you know, a lot of times in, in specific industries, especially when you're working a lot in a space that uh, is very crowded and diluted and has a lot of noise, oftentimes, you know, it's hard to uh, uh, get your what your ideas out there when there's so much noise and so many people looking for that, uh, that space, you know, to right. get those new viewers. And so, um, one of the important things to do is to ensure that you're you're helping and you're giving out the content you have. So if you have a case study, don't just keep that internal. If you have the approval to do it or it's your own case study, share that information so others can learn from it. If you were running an A-B test on a specific uh, you know website that you were seeing which one users found to be more interesting, what you find within that case study, others could use as well. So right. from an ind- industry perspective – um, if you have the ability to share that information, share it with the masses because others can learn from it. Uh, and the idea is that you're not looking for anything in return. You're just looking to help uh, other people. And if for some reason, you know, later on down the line, someone decides that they want to work with you or have a specific project that they think is interesting with you, that's fantastic. And the worst case scenario, you help someone accomplish their goals. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a win-win on both sides. Well, and I just, I mean, it, it could be any profession, really. Like, I'm, I'm assuming... Um, somebody in a call center, they're they're receiving training every day. They're understanding the best practices, and they may as well just have a blog, make a blog, and on the blog start writing down your best practices. And when you find another article that's great, post it on your blog. I mean, if all of a sudden, after five years of working in a call center, you're the one that has accumulated all the best practices, 
you're going to stand out. You know what I mean? Even if you're even if you're um, you know you're preoccupied with the blog at times, uh, other people are going to start seeing you as an expert. Then they're going to start drawing on your expertise. Exactly. That's the case, and that's how you start the initial step of becoming an influencer. It's helping others with the expectation of nothing in return. Yeah. Then, then you say you got to speak out, though, right, and get noticed. Yeah, definitely. I think that's one of the things that uh, I find, especially you know, being a contributor to the likes of Inc. and Entrepreneur.com, is, is the fact that oftentimes when I'm writing an article, uh, there's there's very uh, generic responses saying "great article" or uh, "good" or uh, "thanks for sharing this," but there's very few far in between times where someone will reply with an extremely meaningful, uh, this is what I took back from this. And so mm. if you're looking to be an influencer, um, you know, you have to go and instead of just retweeting the content out to your people, that doesn't add value. So you really have to add value. And by doing that, you know, maybe you're, you're retweeting the article, but then also mentioning, mentioning what exactly about that specific article you found uh, resonating, what you thought about that article worked, or what you thought about it that was dis- uh, mm. different. And so there's, there's never an issue with um, arguing the point that someone makes within an article. It actually creates really good dialogue that act- could actually start a, a long-term relationship with you and the person you're uh, having the disagreement with. Yeah, it, makes you, it kind of makes you an editor now, right? You're, you're editing and adding, enhancing what you're reading. You don't even have to, you don't have to write a long post, but you could just say how this adds to the thought. It's cool. Exactly that. And it's, it's interesting because sometimes I've had people who, you know, I, I put out a post that said something along the lines of uh, these are the best digital marketing conferences that I would recommend based on my experience. And so at the bottom of the post, I put something along the lines like, if you have others that you found valuable, let me know and I'll mm. check them out. And so when people start replying to the post and actually start commenting, again, it creates that dialogue with the writer that allows um, a relationship to be built um, that wasn't previously there. Yeah. Can you have the same impact, um, do you sense, Sam, if you're not using technology? So if you're – if because this is the difference with being a thought leader today is you have the tools. You have Twitter. You have blogs. You have a website if you want it. You have all of these different tools. W- what if you're not using any of the technology? Yeah, it's interesting. I think uh, there, there's a couple of the routes you can go about it. Certainly speaking engagements uh, and some other forms of uh, going about it makes sense. But honestly, in today's day and age, um, for instance, the last time digital media wasn't used in a presidential campaign was in 2008 with uh, John McCain opting not to and President Obama opting to huh. use digital media. And yeah. so, See how you know, that turned out. Today's, <laughs> so in today's day and age, to not be using uh, digital technology or uh, social media platforms um, to help uh, improve yourself, it's going to be very difficult. So, yeah. You know, it's certainly uh, it, you'd be hindering yourself by not using it. Um, no, there I are totally routes to agree. go about it, but it's certainly not the best way to go about it. And then once you've kind of built this platform with digital media, uh, it doesn't have to be like huge and robust. It could just be a simple blog, which is so easy and free to create, um, and or a Twitter feed that is so free to create. Then, then you need to start securing, you say, speaking engagements. Talk, talk to us about that. Yeah, exactly. And so that's exactly what what happened with me. I uh, did some uh, um, 
some uh, writing pieces. I also did some case studies, shared my knowledge, shared my information that I had uh, built over the years. And so the next part after that is trying to secure speaking engagements. What I personally enjoy about speaking engagements at uh, conferences and especially digital marketing specific ones is that you get to meet face to face those people that you wouldn't generally see. You know, mm. when you're when you're just emailing, it's very difficult to put a face behind a name unless you're, you know, following them on Twitter and elsewhere. But um, when you're actually face to face with a person and, you know, going out and, uh, you know, maybe grabbing dinner or something of that sort, uh, it actually creates a, a more strict, uh, stricter, stricter um, bond with that person. And so what I found with doing uh, speaking engagements is you get to meet amazing industry people that share the same passion that you do. But also, if you're speaking there, uh, you know, they're there to hear what you have to say. So you're building your uh, influential clout by simply speaking at the conference on what your, your topic yeah. is. And that could be that could be your local industry. So if you work in the sanitation industry, you could go to the sanitation association meetings and eventually they're going to have a big conference and you eventually work your way up into speaking at those conferences. Yeah, that's exactly the case. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't just have to be specifically, uh, like you were saying, uh, national conferences or these, these big conferences. Even if you're in smaller groups of, let's say, you know, 10 people or five people and you're just meeting up at your uh, local uh, Starbucks or something of, of right. that sort, um, you know, you're all there for the same purpose. You all care about something and are wanting to learn about something. And you can build your influence uh, one person by one person. And even if that person shares you know, their information with another person, your audience is building. And that's a that's a great way to do it. What if you're terrified of speaking? Then you really got to go, you got to go pick up your, you got to go learn to speak. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty interesting. I actually would consider myself more of an introvert. But here's what I found. It's that people who really care about something and have great passion, uh, that seeps through. That's yeah. one of the things that's helped me build my confidence when doing uh, speaking engagements. And I have a, a TED Talk coming up in the next uh, couple of weeks, and I've done a number of uh, speaking engagements um, in my specific industry. And so the one thing that I've found is that when you speak with passion, that really resonates with the audience. So even if you're not the most confident of speaker, um, if you're 100% confident with the knowledge that you have and what you're sharing is going to be beneficial, oftentimes it helps. Um, if not, you know, you can certainly start taking uh, some PR classes and public speaking classes in order to help better yourself and uh, get more get a, more of a natural flow going with it. But yeah. what I found uh, is just by being passionate about the topics that I am, um, the, the people listening to it, it resonates extremely well. I, and it's to me, that's Influence 101 is it's going to demand some communication ability from you. Digital, we've talked about. And then, you know, just kind of face-to-face -face interpersonal skills. Another thing you talk about and you kind of make two points is put a unique spin on the stale topics, you know, because sometimes your industry can get a little stale. So you got to find a new way to spin it. But you also have to create something of value. So this is kind of you creating your own content. Yeah, and even if it's just building off an old idea, you can certainly take a new perspective of it. And I think oftentimes what, what happens in uh, uh, my specific industry or even certain industries is that you're so used to doing something one way uh, for such a long time that you forget to look at it from another perspective. So oftentimes looking at it from someone on the outside looking in uh, is a really cool and interesting way to see things. you know. And then from that, you can create new content based off of that um, separate perspective that you're seeing. And so, yeah, oftentimes with those stale topics, you know, they get covered and beat down to death nonstop. And so, you know, you have to look to find a new way to 
uh, kind of pitch it and say, this is, you know, the topic we've been talking about. Let's look at it from a different angle. Yeah, no, totally. And and then that's creativity and just keep kind of drilling that, uh, drilling that home. And, and, and two, um, the neat thing is sometimes just finding it from a, du- a different angle that that inherently you being able to tell the story better than someone else in your industry will inherently move you to the top. I mean, just if you have a better metaphor to teach the same example, um, people are going to be attracted to your metaphor. Then they'll start quoting you. They'll start using your ideas, your 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 topics. Yeah, that's exactly the case. You know, I've had it done on my end where, you know, uh, specific articles have gone uh, somewhat viral because uh, the perspective of it was taken uh, differently, which is which is good. And then also I've read, you know, articles in my industry where I've thought, whoa, that's really interesting. I've never thought about it. I've been doing the same thing the same way. Let's try this new route. In which case, you know, I'll want to get a quote from the specific person that has that different point of view or even just know them just to know, you know, where they're coming from and understanding that perspective is, uh, is really interesting and really important to do. Yeah. And so I guess once you have the digital set, you've got some speaking opportunities, you're kind of working your way up, you've got the content ready. You also suggest, number six, team up with your peers. Is this just how you build like a coalition of people? I mean, family and peers, that's how I started mine is I just started offering my workshops, my classes to people I knew that were in my circle of influence. And then they started referring people. Yeah, that's exactly the case. Um, again, you know, when it, when, it, when it comes down to it, uh, even if you guys work for different companies or even within the same company, um, you know, you're not enemies. It's not a, a competition. It's you both have uh, a common goal. You're looking to accomplish something uh, for one company or another. And so when you're able to team up um, with peers that are not only, uh, you know, not only influential, but also, you know, you guys both share that same passion, amazing things can happen. And so that sort of thing has happened in the industry that I'm in where, you know, there's a a ton of people who are extremely pleasant, extremely great to to hang out with um, after the conferences. And, you know, you'll just email them just to see what they're up to and if everything's going good with the wife and kids and that kind of thing. And so, yeah, I think teaming up with your peers is extremely important. Um, Oftentimes what you see at uh, Google and those larger companies is they work in groups um, because, you know, when you're in those groups, um, you can take one idea and build an idea that's 100 times better just by getting other perspectives right. coming in on it. No, exactly. The power of synergy. And then last but not least in your article, you, you just suggest that we, we remember, you know, who helped us get there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely uh, don't forget uh, who helped you on your way to the top. Um, you know, when uh, I always think about it, always think about it as, um, you know, you're, you stay rooted, stay grounded. Um, you start from the roots and then you grow. And so if you're forgetting about the roots, uh, you're not going to be able to grow. It really helps you build a sturdy foundation and even something as simple as um, going out for a cup of coffee or, you know, buying them a pizza or something of that sort. Um, really does resonate well with that influencer, and they, they take it to heart. And if you're able to do it to someone in person, uh, you know, that's very close to you, uh, I recommend doing it in person because it has a lot more meaning. And, uh, yeah, always stay true to yourself and always stay true to the people that helps you uh, get to where you are today. It's What's so cool about this is so if somebody really wants to be well-known, be on television and radio, this will work. But it will also work if you just want to be an influencer in your charity, in your church, in your group. I mean, every one of these principles will just help you get your message out more and be heard more so you can make better changes in life, too. 
Absolutely. Even if, you know, looking at something uh, closer to fast food, when I first started in uh, my one of my first jobs was actually working at Chipotle. And so, um, you know, something as simple as having a, a boss that is there to help you. And if you're looking to, to build, um, you know, grow, whether it's, you know, rolling burritos or, you know, speaking at a, a national conference, um, you know, there are people that can influence you. And uh, even today, some of those people that I worked with from Chipotle are some of my greatest friends because they helped me get to where I am today. Um, and, you know, you just you, you build great relationships from that and uh, never forget from where you came from. That's good stuff. Well, we appreciate you. It's a great article, Sam. Uh, everybody ought to get to Inc. Magazine to check it out, how to become an influential member of your industry or niche. Uh, and again, Sam, thanks for your time. Thank you for having me. Keep up the great work. And for all of us, really, it's the way up. Um, it's It's a new age, isn't it? A different age where... It's not enough to just read everyone else's books. You can now be a thought leader, a contributor in, in such a, an easier way than ever before. And I, and I truly believe if no matter what you're trying to promote, your church, your um, charity, or yourself, uh, all great tools of leadership that we just learned there. Remember, one of the goals of the show is to help you become a better leader um, in the world. We need better leaders. And... Um, you are one of those uh, leaders up and coming on the rise. We'll take a break, my friends. When we come back, do a quick coach's corner. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, we can talk about how you can become a more influential member of your industry, uh, become a better leader, and uh, we can give you a ton of tools. Stephen Covey um, used to teach that there's uh, there's personality ethic and there's character ethic, and you have to go about your life through one ethic. You have to you have to have some um, strategy, some methodology, some path towards success in the world, and he differentiated the two, that some of us go by way of character, our principles, our integrity, that's how we increase our power with people, and some of us go by personality, we schmooze, we can suck up, we, uh, you know, charming, charismatic, you know. But eventually, if you don't have the character, your personality is not going to be able to carry you through the day. You know that. Eventually, you're going to run out of personality, and people are going to know that you're really not all that. So I was reading um, a great article uh, from Lifehacker um, and online, and I found a really interesting article because I don't, I don't play Dungeons & Dragons, but I know a lot of people that do. And boy, are they weird. No. And they're fantastic, but they – they and I, I don't understand it, but in Dungeons and Dragons, you have characters, right? You have different pieces of the game that are characters, and they have statistics that they have a strength level, they have dexterity. But it, as I was reading it, the whole time I'm thinking, holy cow, we all need to kind of see ourselves as a character in life, and we need to make sure that our stats are going up. So a, a, a typical Dungeons and Dragons, I guess every character has certain strengths and weaknesses. By the way, this article is by Whitson Gordon, and it was filed to Weekend Roundup um, in October, the beginning of October. 
But in Dungeons and Dragons, every character has certain strengths and weaknesses determined by their ability scores. But there are, they have they have different areas that you have to score and and gather and gain more strength in. So, for example, strength that would be your physical strength, right? Your ability to um, you know to just be physically strong enough to handle what you need to do to to build muscle to be strong physically. But you also have to have dexterity. That's another category of of these characters. So think about you. And if we were going to just run you through as a character in a game, where are you on your strength? What would your strength score be physically? Let's just say 1 to 100. I'm a good 5. <laughs> physical strength, I need to get stronger. How about dexterity? Dexterity is about other types of athleticism, right? It's having the ability to dodge incoming blows, hand-eye coordination. It's the ability to, in some of the cases, to practice martial arts, but to have fun, to be athletic, to have good eye-hand coordination. So think about your personal life. Do you have good dexterity? Do you have the ability to make it through the tough, the tough things in life? Do you have the ability to, to shuck and jive and to, and to be healthy enough to see what's coming and to dodge it if you need to or to take it on, but take it on with, you know, with a little finesse? Another area of these, these uh, characters is constitution. Constitution is slightly more of an abstract concept, but it represents your character's health and stamina. Do you have good constitution when it comes to your life? Do you have good ability immunity? Do you have uh, the ability – do you eat healthy? Are you strong um, and able to take a hit but, and live through it? How about intelligence? Intelligence is important for wizards learning different spells in Dungeons & Dragons. But how about you? When was the last time you read a book about your industry? And what are you doing to increase your critical thinking skills? Are you intelligent? Are you wise? Wise is different than intelligence, right? Wisdom uh, determines things like willpower, common sense, and perception. Do you use your common sense? Do you use your willpower? Do you exercise self-control? Not just that your book's smart, but you actually know how to use your smarts in your life. Do you show charisma? Charisma isn't something you're born with. It's a skill you can develop. It's being expressive with your body, your voice. Do you have charisma? Anyway, think about yourself. How are your scores in those areas? And maybe if you're trying to create influence with people, you might want to work on your dexterity. You might want to work on your charisma, your strength, your character. We all have a character we're playing in this life, and we need to make it stronger. I'd even add some other areas. How about your spiritual strength, your spiritual strength, your emotional strength, your financial strength, your social strength? It's pretty cool stuff, and we're all working on it. And if, Man, if we would spend more time on ourselves as we do on our Dungeons & Dragons games, as I look at Ben, who's never played Dungeons & Dragons, we'd all be in a lot better place. That's hour number two, folks, of the Matt Townsend Show. Doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger. We can't do it all for you, but we can give you some tools along the way. Stick with us. We'll be right back. A whole other hour up next on the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. 
Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program and happy National Sandwich Day. Yum, yum, yum. It's National Sandwich Day. Also, if you're keeping score, National Housewives Day and Cliche Day. Cliche, but we don't use cliches here because they're a dime a dozen. Excuse me. Anyway, happy cliche day. Uh, it's also uh, election day. You got to hit the polls. You got to get out there. I mailed mine in. Did you mail it in? They sent it to my house. I had one sort of policy budget thing. Like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. No one's running for anything. And then off it goes. See, I'm going in. I sent like point zero something percent of a dollar of sales tax to improve parks or something. Did you do it? You did. Sure. It's parks. Parks. Hey, who doesn't love a park? Who doesn't love a park? Um, I'm going in. I like to go in. I like to see my children's school. I Mm. like to be, I like to smell the the cafeteria. Okay. See what they have cooking? Yeah. Go back and sort of lift the lids. French fries. Mm -mm -mm -mm. Soggy Mm. French fries. Hey, speaking of um, soggy French fries, did you hear about this uh, truck that spilled 22 tons of pizza dough? Oh, and flour in Arizona. A big rig loaded with more than 22 tons of pizza dough. Hmm. An accordion? Yep. Okay. What better music to read this song to? 22 tons of pizza dough. We need Don in here to speak uh, Italian. The Arizona Department of Public Safety says the semi rolled on its side about 4 a.m.? Epa! Oh, that's Greek. Thursday, um, along a stretch of US 89 near Page, the truck was filled with 44,500 pounds of pizza dough and flour, with each bag of dough weighing 50 pounds. So this is in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. The Utah-Arizona border. Right. And they just drop all this the pizza ingredients. Right. All these pizzas never had a chance no. to be eaten by anyone. But all enjoyed. the desert tortoises looked up like, what the? Wait, what? Huh? Pizza! I love pizza pie. And they, uh, anyway, picked it up. Now, if you if you have a pizza that's a little gritty, mm. you can know that it was on the truck. Maybe it has a nice red, <laughs> a red hue, hue to it because of the red rocks down there. Yeah. A little bit of that dust in, in, the, in the pie. <laughs> yeah. Um, You'll know where it came from. Hey, here's, uh, here's a, a crazy study for you. Uh, according to Oxford University... Um, neuroscientists are saying that a secret to a good night's sleep could be as simple as brushing your teeth in the dark. Hmm. Have you tried doing that? Well, I just put my teeth in a jar. Okay. You just pop them out? Just soak them all night. That makes makes it easy. So much easier <laughs> than having to use the old toothbrush. Um, an Oxford neuroscientist has claimed uh, Russell Foster, professor of circadian neuroscience, claims that the bright fluorescent light of bathrooms wakes the body up just when it should be switching off. He believes that simply brushing your teeth in the dark room could allow sleep to take hold more quickly. But, I mean, that kind of makes sense. You, you, you turn on the light instantly, you know, you, you blow out your, yeah. I don't ever all turn your receptors there. I just leave my phone on. My problem is I, I you find the toothbrush yeah. and then you try to do the, the toothpaste That's hard. all in the dark. That's hard. And then if there's multiple toothbrushes in the that's region, right. you're like, oh, which one was mine? Yep. That's, all of a sudden you're using your kid's superhero toothbrush. Yeah, what's up with that? 
But apparently 36% of our life is spent sleeping. And if you just leave the lights out when you're doing, brushing your teeth, you'll probably get more of that 36%. I think about 6% of my life is sleeping. 6%? Is all. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. And about 44% is spent brushing my teeth. But this goes with the same thing they've been saying of don't use your phone as you go to sleep. Don't yeah. watch TV. If you turn on all, all the light off all the light sources, you're able to just relax mm-hmm. and drift off to sleep. Now, they say read books. No. no. That could help you, but... That doesn't help me fall asleep because I just get very... I start thinking more. Yeah. What I need is somebody to rub my feet. Really? Funny thing, no takers at my house. Hmm. I'm always like, son, rub daddy's feet. He's like, uh, no. And all of a sudden he's like, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Did that work when they were small kids? Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> no, my kids have always been grossed out by that. Apparently, though, turning off your lights. Now, again, you don't have to brush your teeth. You you kind of do. What? You really you really should. I had a, a wisdom tooth pulled recently. Yeah. And it looked perfect, but inside it was hollow. Really? Because it decayed. A but you couldn't tooth. see it from the outside and it didn't hurt. It's like the uh until I broke it. That's bad. While eating. Yeah. My my son just had his wisdom teeth out by the way, a little update and did really well. And then all of a sudden he's like, hold it. I, I think they only pulled two teeth out. Hmm. And we're all like, well, weren't they supposed to pull four? And they charged for four? Well, apparently only two came out. Okay. So What did they do with the other ones? I don't know. We're looking for them. Okay. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know if they pulled them. He can't tell. I'm like, how do you not know? Do you not have gaping holes in your head? You, you should. I. And they're not there. So apparently they only pulled two. My problem is they only took one tooth of my four wisdom teeth. Really? So I'm lopsided. That's why on, you on chew. One side. I've noticed that you chew lopsided. The problem with I, I found that I chew on the side where that tooth is gone all the time. It hurts when you start. You just bite into something. You're like, yeah. Oh wait, I don't have any teeth there. Well, you, you know what? If one tooth is hollow, the others might be hollow. That was my thought. And they go, "Well, we'll have to wait and see what happens. We'll let you know." When they all start breaking, come back and see us. <laughs> oh, I love a good dentist. I love a good dentist. You know, what I love about the dentist most is uh, you can't please everyone, you know? That's another cliche. For cliche day. Happy, happy cliche day. Uh, let's go to the headlines. Anything going on in the news? There is. John Kasich, Carly Fiorina, and Chris Christie have all refused to sign the GOP letter proposing debate changes. Their campaign said Monday night Christie's communications director, Samantha Smith, said the governor's recent comments on Fox News sums up his position. You know, stop complaining. Do me a favor. Set up a stage, put podiums up there, and let's just go. Why are we spending time arguing and bickering about this? I'd rather spend my time going out there talking to voters and talking about issues that really matter to the country. So there's a uh, purportedly the Washington Post and then other websites have picked it up. Uh, the uh, different uh, different points like they want the the room to be 67 degrees at least. They want certain podiums. Don't show empty podiums. Don't do things basically that could oh. embarrass a candidate. And Christie's like, just put me up there. I'll talk. You have the list there. Yeah, man. here they are. For example, um, ask candidates to raise their hands to answer a question. Don't do that. Uh, you will not have a lightning round. Yeah, just don't, don't, don't give me like two, two words, and then everyone gives you like a sentence. You it's... will not allow props or pledges. Yeah, 
Will you make a pledge that you will not raise taxes? It's manipulative. It looks foolish. Will you uh, do not show an empty podium after a break? Or um, And you will not describe how far away the bathrooms are? Yeah, they did that in one of the debates. The bathrooms are seven feet away. <laughs> you will not leave microphones on during breaks? That's awkward. You will not let us wear our microphones to the bathrooms no matter how far they are and leave the microphones on while using the restroom. Boy, they're getting technical. So Donald Trump also rejected the letter. He wants to talk directly to the networks. So this is all still in flux. Whatever. And the next debate is on Let's, the 10th. One year. In this is the great news. One year before Election Day. One year to go. And that's all going to be better. Republican voters have a lot of faith in Donald Trump, apparently. A new Reuters poll out Tuesday revealed that Republican voters trust real estate mogul, the real estate mogul, more than any other candidate in every area but one. What? Nuclear weapons. Oh, yeah. Republicans think retired neurosurgeon Ben Carson would have a steadier hand with the (laughs) nation's nukes than Donald Trump. 39% to 34%. Well, let's let, we could let Carson carry the football. Okay. Right? That's well, no, they have a guy for that. I know, but that's what they call it, right? The, yeah, football. the football. So let's keep Carson on it because he's got the steady hand. He can separate twins, for crying out loud. Aside from the weapons, GOP voters trust Trump most. He leads the field uh, in who would be best at managing the economy and trustworthiness in dealing with foreign leaders, a category which he snags 41% of the, uh, the poll. Overall, 40% of GOP voters say they trust Trump to be commander-in-chief. He is tied with Carson at 40%. This is great. Yeah, so We're getting closer to figuring it out. It's going to end soon. Uh, police in Tulupi, or in Mississippi are charging Marshall W. Leonard, 61-year-old, with throwing a bomb at a local Walmart. Oh, wow. He did this Sunday morning, allegedly, to protest the chain's decision to stop selling the Mississippi state flag and other merchandise that has the Confederate battle flag on it. He, he threw a bomb. He drove, he goes, uh, as the, the report reads, a white male believed to be Leonard drove up to the night entrance of the Walmart at 1.30 a.m., got out, lit the package, threw it at the vestibule. There was a Walmart worker standing there, and he goes, y'all better run. Welcome to Walmart. <laughs> Come goes, it wasn't a large explosion. It didn't cause a lot of damage. Nobody was hurt, but he threw a bomb at a Walmart because they're not selling flags anymore. Oh, great. See, now being a Walmart greeter is, now you got to wear like a flak jacket. <laughs> He's like, you better run. Um, Activision this morning. Activision makes video games. Yeah. It's called Activision Blizzard Inc. They make World of Warcraft, Call of Duty, and a game called Diablo, which are- Diablo, the devil. Very, very very popular games. They announced on Monday they are going to buy Candy Crush Saga creator- Wow. Or uh, King Digital Entertainment for $5.9 billion. So Candy Crush, the game everyone sort of plays- You are kidding me. $5.9 $5.9 billion for that app on your phone and on Facebook and uh, everything else. I'm they, in the wrong business. They think they'll be able to attract a bigger audience and sponsors and advertising, and it'll be a great move for everyone involved. Fandy, Fandy Crush. Candy Crush that has ruined more lives, marriages, families. That one game and businesses is worth but now, five. Now they can combine Call of Duty and Candy Crush. Oh, that's a great game. That would be kind of fun. That is a great or game. Or World of Warcraft, mm-hmm. if that's more mm-hmm. your type yeah. of a game, with Candy Crush. <laughs> you could you could match the trolls and the ogres and the sorcerers. Uh, and... No? Sounds pathetic. Hey, um, great news. That's great news for them. I mean, seriously, that's just a little, just a little company, little idea. 5.9 billion. I can't get over the Walmart explosion <laughs> blowing up. Seriously, some poor little old ladies. 
the greeter and the next it was thing, a, yeah. it was a man it was a man it was a man that was standing out there a, a walmart employee and then they saw whatever dropped and guy's like you better run i got it he jumps on it <laughs> it wasn't that big that is a big explosion. It's not that big. It just sounded that big because it was a big box store. That's back in the other story about who's going to take care of our our weapons of mass destruction, Carson yeah, or Trump. <laughs> you want Carson because everybody trusts his hands. He's got nice, calm, easy hands. Hey, um, here's the deal. Our next guest uh, after the break it will be Dr. Samantha Rodman, who uh, is going to walk us through an article she wrote about how to deal with your parents or in-laws that don't respect you, right? So now that we're all done with Halloween, we're looking right down the barrel at the big holidays now, right? Thanksgiving, Christmas. Uh, for some, they're feeling dread, fear, because now they got to go deal with their in-laws or their uh, parents, how do you deal with in-laws that don't respect you? We're going to give you the tools you need, the information so that you can go, you know, have a healthy, happy holiday season and maybe even hopefully reconnect to some of the people you care about. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. That's the old mother-in-law song by Ernie K. Doe. Doe! Hey, uh, you know, Halloween's behind us, folks. The holiday season is now around the corner. This should be time where you look forward to the family dinners, right? Laughing, playing games with Grandma and Grandpa, reminiscing about the old times. But for many people, it's time where you start to feel that dread sinking in. The dread of seeing your parents or meeting the, and seeing the in-laws again. Uh, you know, having them call you hurtful nicknames from your childhood or asking you those questions that just make you feel less than normal. The dread of being compared to your successful brother or sister or, you know, just having to have to feel the sense of competition with everyone else. It may create some uh, pain for you. And especially, it may create some bad relationships with your in-laws, and you feel like they don't respect you. So joining us today uh, on the phone is a licensed psychologist, Samantha Rodman, uh, Dr. Samantha Rodman, and she is here to talk about an article she wrote, How to Deal with Parents or In-Laws Who Don't Respect You. She's um, She's been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, and we're grateful to have her today uh, to walk us through this. Dr. Samantha Rodman, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Great to have you. And uh, what an interesting topic because so many of us, you know, we 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 just are we're trying to make it. We're trying to make it through life, and and we feel though our our in laws may not like us from for whatever reason they don't like us. Do you see that in your practice? Is it a fairly common problem to have in law issues, or is that just something we're making up in the media? No, it's very, very common to have issues with, even before marriage, to have issues with any significant other's parents or family members or siblings is really very common. And what what is the problem? What what are the things you see uh, your clients suffering from when it comes to their in-laws? 
Well, many times the in-law doesn't know the boundaries of the person. So they have their own family culture. So, for example, an in-law may think that it's totally normal to just show up without calling, whereas in that person's family, that would never have been done. And so this can move into these personalized sorts of arguments like, you know, you don't respect me. And in reality, the person's just acting like how they always acted, and they think that this person, the new partner, is being very sensitive oh. or cold. Yeah. I hear that. I hear that with my clients all the time as well. And plus, sometimes it's because it, it's not always just in-laws. Sometimes it's parents that they don't see that you've grown up. They still see you as the pathetic little child that you were, not uh, the adult you've grown into. Right, and that's really common for adult children to be very resentful and bitter because they feel that they've accomplished a lot or they've grown and changed in various ways and the parent is still very condescending and patronizing because they still view the child as this screw-up, you know, from when they were younger or making bad decisions or, you know, an earlier phase in in their life. And I guess how do I get them to not see me like that anymore? You know, I could be a well, successful think, business person. I could have a family, a, a mother of my own or whatever, and I can have all these things going for me. But, you know, they just remember when they had to bail me out of jail one day. <laughs> right. So I think that the first thing to realize is the parent's perspective isn't they're not trying to hurt you in any way. They're really just operating under the assumption that things haven't changed and frequently it's because they still want to be relevant. I mean, a parent, for example, that gives a lot of unwanted advice, that person usually wants to be valued, and the child is interpreting it as that the parent doesn't trust them Mm. enough to make grown-up decisions, whereas really frequently the parent or the in-law is just trying to show that they know or that their experience is worthwhile in some way. Or frequently they're even trying to show that they know the child very well better than anybody else by referring to these earlier instances that the child would rather not think about at all, but it kind of shows like, oh, I was always there for you, I know you better than anybody, and I took care of you. Right. Isn't that true? It's They still want to be relevant. They want to still have kind of a, a status or a, or a position in your life of respect. Yeah, and especially that happens once the adult child has children of their own then there's the most vicious battles over whether grandma's right about how to raise a child or whether mom is right. Right. And I guess this gets even more intense when the battle is over your in-law telling you that. Oh, yeah. Well, that is usually a catastrophe for the marriage because especially um, if the the spouse who's the child of the in-law is perceived as not helping and not being on the partner's side right? or allying with the parent over the spouse, then that turns into a real, a real catastrophe. It seems like when I look at my clients, it's, it's, uh, it's the child whose parents, it's, it's the child or the partner who won't kind of put their parents in the place they need to be put in or they they won't put their partner as their as their true partner and instead allow the parents to keep encroaching it seems like it's the partner's fault more than the parent's fault 
Yeah, a lot of adult children, they've maintained this childlike role around their parents because it's easy for them. So that's the role that they go into. So, you know, you really see this when people kind of let their parents make all the decisions or they're always calling their parents for advice. It's usually a two-way street. It's not just that the parents are encroaching. It's often that the adult child, as you say, is, you know, allowing this behavior to happen. And so then when the adult child gets married, the parent usually thinks that this is just an extension of the child and that then they can give the partner the same sorts of advice and help, you know, quote-unquote help that they were giving the child. Right. I mean, it's it, – I love the way that you're starting this because the parents aren't – they're not trying to destroy you. <laughs> they don't hate you. Right. They just are in this weird battle trying to almost figure out what their role is with you now. Right. I mean, there's evolutionarily, there's the grandmother hypothesis, you know, that states that the only reason that women live so much longer than men is to be a helpful grandmother. That's right. And to alleviate some of the child rearing burden. So biologically, the grandmother's predisposed to come in and offer her advice and input and help. And in, you know, many generations, most generations before this one, extended family was a real daily part of your life. People would all live together and the grandmother would have been giving daily help and advice, and it would have been welcomed. Hmm. We, we just interviewed uh, one of the researchers on that study about grandmothers uh, being the, dil- the, the difference makers for our families historically, evolutionarily. And um, it's, it really is – it's interesting because if we don't allow them in because of our ego or their you know ego, whatever, we end up creating a tension that probably – could divide the family up instead of bringing us together. Right. So frequently, you know, the worst case scenario is when you're dealing with narcissists, whether it's the in-law who's a narcissist or the spouse, Mm. because those sorts of individuals don't really allow for compromise. It really has to be their way or no way. And so that's usually the sort of situation that's going to hit the boiling point that brings people into counseling is when they're dealing with a narcissistic in-law that you try very nicely to assert your boundaries or to, you know, give them maximum contact with the kids, but nothing is ever enough. And they just don't have the empathy that, that the partner is looking for. Right. And I guess so in that case, that becomes maybe the extreme where we we might need to make some decisions of if we really want to do this. Do we really need to go? Right. And that, that frequently happens where people decide whether it's to cut off contact completely or to really put extensive boundaries and detailed boundaries on the involvement of the in-law. Yeah. No, it's it's a big, big decision. Let's do this. We're speaking with Dr. Samantha Rodman. You can find her um, on her Twitter feed at Dr. – what is it again, Samantha? At, doc, at Dr. Psych Mom, D-R Psych, P-S-Y-C-H Mom on Twitter. We'll, uh, we'll take a break, come back, and continue this discussion. Samantha is going to run us through some other things we can do from her article um, on this topic of uh, – you know, how to deal with your parents or in-laws that don't respect you. It might be narcissism. It also just might be them trying to find out what their role is, who they are, and what role they should play in your life. Stick with us, folks, helping you find the tools, the information you need to grow healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. On the phone with us is Dr. Samantha Rodman. Um, she is the uh, an expert that's helping us kind of walk through this, I think, fairly typical issue that we face in life about um, how to handle our in-laws or parents who, who don't necessarily respect us. She wrote a blog entry um, in the, the Huffington Post parents section um, on how to deal with our parents or in-laws that don't respect you. And she's she's just giving us some, I think, very important and, uh, and, and I think real information about uh, these family relationships. First thing she's taught us is just understand they, they, they just – your parents aren't trying to necessarily hurt you. They just don't know where they fit in. Uh, they might also have an issue with um, narcissism where they – you know, that might complicate the issue a little bit more. So we welcome you back, Dr. Samantha Rodman. Thanks again for being with us. Thank you. Talk about what we should do. Um, so let's just say – uh, we, you know, mom and dad, they're not necessarily unhealthy per se. They just are trying to find their place in life. What could we do to kind of tactfully go about uh, addressing the issue or, or preparing ourselves for it? Well, I think it's really important to figure out what exactly you want from your parents and what you want your own role to be as an adult child and as a, a parent yourself or as a partner now or whatever it may be. You know, if you accept, let's say, huge financial gifts from your parents all the time, then they're going to expect that they can give you advice and that it's going to be welcome. So there's plenty of people, or for example, if you take lots of free babysitting from your parents, then they're going to think that they have a huge role to play in your child rearing. A lot of people want to have their cake and eat it too, and that usually leads to bad outcomes because the parents think that they're being given mixed signals or that they're being taken advantage of. Right. I mean, and that's the case. So, I mean, if you're if you're using them, they might think that they have a right to make a comment here and there. Right. Or they may even think that they have a right to that, – that they're really essentially a co-parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you allow your parent to watch your child 40 hours a week, which many people do, which is understandable because if they offer and it's and it's free, I mean, you know, many people will do it. Then when they want to help plan your child's birthday party, it kind of makes sense. They know your child very well. They're right. there all the time. And when people get upset about that sort of thing, then, you know, you, you have to think, what do you really want out of this relationship? If you want the parent to be that involved, then you got to be consistent. It's so true. And you might have a weird guilt because they keep bringing up accuracies about your, your horrible parenting. I mean, yeah. if you're I not mean, around your kids enough. I mean, some some young children even call the grandmother mom. You know, right. they even get confused, and then that's extremely hurtful. And then you know, it's hurtful because you you wish it wasn't happening. You wish the whole situation was different. But if it is a situation where you are not acting childlike around your parent, and you're trying to show that you are a, a person in your own right, and you're not taking excessive amounts of babysitting or money or anything from your parents, and the first step is really a sit down, honest discussion about what you feel and why you may have been acting cold or resentful or rude, which they probably notice, Mm -hmm. and what you're feeling. So such as saying, I really would like to plan the birthday party by myself. It's making me sad when you tell me that my ideas aren't good. 
And even though it's nice of you to ask to make all the food, it makes me feel uninvolved at my own kid's birthday party. Yeah, that's great. And own it. And you don't have to, like, make a bunch of big accusations, right? Just right. And state some facts. To the, yeah, to the current, the, the current situation. Not for my whole life you've never understood right. me and this is what's always happening with you and this is why we're never close. <laughs> that sort of thing isn't helpful it's cathartic in the moment but it usually ends up ruining the relationship yeah i mean that's that's fairly safe right and then you can even in that same conversation talk about other boundaries you know and ask for more yeah i wish that you know maybe you could call before you come over at least if it's on the weekend or it makes me feel upset when you take pictures of my child and put them on facebook or whatever the boundary is because there's so many right I mean, there really are just and things that we don't even we didn't even have the issue of Facebook postings years ago. There's a lot of things that are happening today because of our technology that weren't even issues before. And right. now they're so popping up, you know. Yeah. A parent will, will like, for example, note that a child is pregnant before the child wanted that announced yeah. on social media or say something about the parent that's supposed to be funny. Post some picture of the parent as a child. I mean, something like that. Adult children who are trying to assert themselves now as adults are going to be sensitive to a parent acting like they are a child. Yeah. So frequently they get very, very sensitive and assume that there's negative intention when really the parent was just trying to be funny or cute or, or show that they're close to the child or something like that. Well, and maybe too, if, if, it, if your mother or your, or your father or whomever, if, if, they, if they keep making the same mistakes – Maybe you just need to quit giving them certain information. You know what I mean? At some point, I think we we think we can keep treating them the same even though they keep making the same mistake. But maybe it's just better – even after you tell them about a boundary, they still will keep breaking the boundary or they might. Then it just means let's let's just know what they are and what they are is they just can't do boundaries. So I'm going to manage right, what I give them. Don't pick up the phone all the time. Right, exactly. That's when tell clients. Don't pick up the phone. They say, oh, my mother, she'll just keep calling. Well, she will not keep calling 800 times. That's right. You know, I, she probably won't. And if she does, then you should shut off your phone. I mean, it's, there's no way. If you really want to assert a boundary, unless the person is extremely pathological and we're dealing with, with a different scenario, yeah. they may be offended, but they will eventually learn that they don't get reinforced for the behavior. If your parent calls 10 times and then you always pick up at the 10th ring, then they will call you 10 times. That's right. But if they learn that they you do not call back in that case for three days, then they will even just subconsciously learn not to call you that much. And if you keep complaining that they call so much, but you're answering every phone call, then quit complaining. Either quit complaining or quit calling back. I mean, it's you can't have right, both exactly. sides of the argument, right? Right. So if every time your mother-in-law says she's going to drop by in 10 minutes, you run and you clean the house and you serve her cookies and you make sure, you know, that you clean, that you're out of your sweats. And then later you complain about it. She's not going to understand what you're talking about because you are giving the impression when she's there that you're happy to see her. Yeah. You know what? It really is. It's it's a relationship and it's one of our primary ones. So it's the one that, you know, might impact us and hurt us the most. Man, I wish we had more time with you, Samantha, to talk about it. Um, where can they go find more information about your books and all the information that you, uh, all the blogs and everything you write on? Um, well, my main website is drpsychmom.com. And that's D-R-P-S-Y-C-H-M-O-M.com. 
And I write, of course, on the Huffington Post, which is where you saw my article, Scary Mommy, Babble, a lot, a lot of different publications. Yeah. And my book, which is available on Amazon or Barnes & Noble, is How to Talk to Your Kids About Your Divorce. That's huge. I mean, really, a big, a big resource, I think, for everybody. Uh, again, we appreciate you. Samantha Rodman, Ph.D., great work. Keep up uh, the great work, and thanks for you know, making our holidays a little healthier, a little happier. We'll take a break, my friends, and come back, visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. What better music to lead us into this great next group? I was going to say couple, but let's just go with uh, let's just this next segment. Our good buddy is down at BYU Sports Nation. Jerem Jordan and Brian Logan filling in for Spencer, who's on uh, parent duty. Hello, kids. What's up? What's How are you doing? Hey, this song, uh, doesn't that bring back good memories? Oh, man. Mm. I don't know this song. Prom. <laughs> in high school back in the <laughs> 80s. Don't you remember, Jeremy, when you 70s. talked like this and you said, Stacey, will you go to the dance with me? Yeah, I was said the sloth. <laughs> <laughs> a good Wait, time. Is this like one of those 80s? You've songs? never heard this song, Brian Logan? No. It sounds, it like, kind of sounds familiar. Oh, this is like Love Song like 101. like this. <laughs> So just, yeah, just, you know what? Yeah, Can I just I suggest take this one home to your wife, flip it on, dim the lights, and then give her that look. I can't do that. She'll she might throw up on me. She's pregnant. <laughs> Is she pregnant? Yeah, yeah I'm throwing up she right is. now. Yeah, don't. Do it. I'm just trying <laughs> she, to give you guys some love advice. She she may she's she's about to pop here. Yeah, let's second. not. We're about the, four weeks away. Four weeks, four weeks out. I'd keep yeah, the lights up. up. Just play a nice mellow rhythm. She though. would definitely like the the lights down so she can go to sleep. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the other stuff, the music, she'd want to be turned off. This is um, a. This she wouldn't want me to give her any look, and she would probably actually want me to uh, go to our the extra bedroom. Oh yeah, give her space. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just quit touching her. You're yeah. too hot. Mm-hmm. You emanate too much heat. Yeah. Hey, I just, um, just my presence disgusts her right now. You're the you reason. Did this to me. I know. You did this to me. Jerem's like Jerem's somehow grossed out by all of this. <laughs> hey Jerem, do you know what? To be here. Do you know what today is? Jerem, you just said that yawning. I know. Uh, I, 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 don't, I don't have to have my energy high for another ten minutes. <laughs> oh well, no, I I, I kind of need your energy high. What's up, man? You know why? Because today's cliche day. Me. Your throat's killing you. Yeah. Oh, Are you sick? Five days. Oh yeah. If you guys need me to fill in on that show, mm-hmm. I'll, I'm there. I'll Brian and I can carry it. That would be oh, yeah. awesome one day. No, it wouldn't. Know. It really wouldn't. It would be good. It really wouldn't. Matt, just break freestyle. down the running backs. The running back, yeah. he runs fast and straight. This guy <laughs> runs straighter than any run back. <laughs> then run, the the new run, run back. Runner backers. The left run bench back. He done run right through the four gap. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. Today's cliche day. Yeah. Do you, do you have any good cliches, like sports cliches? He can go all the way. Oh, yeah. Give me oh. some. Give me some. Oh, 
Give me a, you know, give it 110%. There you go. That's true. Take yep. it one game at a time. One game at a time. That's the worst one. You know, it is what it is. It is what it is. Oh, we, lack I guarantee. Of, lack of execution. Yeah. I guarantee that we say on this show 10 to 20 cliches every show. Do you, you got it. It's part of sports culture. It is. It really is. Although some of them I try to break down. I try you know, to break down. Like, wait, why, is, why are we saying that? Yeah. What, sometimes. I think, the, wor- to think the, worst thing I, the worst thing I hate is like. It was a lack of execution. It was like, no, they, you, we just got our butts whooped, and we <laughs> suck, and they're much better. That's, yeah. Sorry yeah. about that. I can't do anything about that, ladies and gentlemen. If somebody has better athletes than my athletes, then they win. That's just life. They're just God better. didn't create everybody equal. That's yeah, right. like, hey, gave it 110%. No, that's physically impossible. Right. No, that's, yeah. <laughs> you, you can only give it 100%. You can only give it 100%. <laughs> but the cliches help, don't you think? I mean, because it, it just quickly lets us know that nothing is going to be new here. I think it only helps for <laughs> the media, like as a coach just trying to get through an interview pretty yeah. fast. And then it may help the players – and their insecurity level, like when the coach says, hey, this is completely my fault, fellas. Um, I didn't do enough to, to prep you guys. We didn't play our you game. Yeah. 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 What does that even mean? Yeah, right. We didn't, I didn't play our game, huh? What is <laughs> what your do you game? Mean? Explain yourself. What do you mean, coach? Our game <laughs> yeah, right now it, is that they're better than us. Yeah, sport, sports are funny that way because – there's so many cliches. That, so, the, so this is basically sports day. It, it's it really is sports day. I mean, mm-hmm. cliche day. So so the every day is sports day. Well, it That's is true. Well, it is on your show. I mean, the, the rest of us have to deal with life. You know, man, so serious. Like sports I, is life. Like we'll talk about a fact that, I, and this is tragic, but a flood, a flood. All of a sudden, some lady goes out after a flood, and there's a shark on her front lawn. Where? Can you believe that? I'm going to bet uh, in Alabama. Alabama. Bama. Roll Tide. <laughs> War Eagle. <laughs> she goes out there, and there's just a shark. There's a shark in the front. Honey, there's a shark in the front yard. From the Golfo de Mexico? Yeah. Yeah, Ooh. seriously. Uh, honey, are you Spielberg. mowing today? Because you better move yeah. that shark. <laughs> are you? See, that's There's a real life. in our lawn. That's a story. That's a story that I have to deal with. You yeah. don't have to deal with that. Yeah. You know we what have, I mean? We have to deal with things like Jimmer Fredette's in the developmental league, and yeah. they've fully embraced him with not one but two photos of him on the homepage. Oh, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> Somebody's excited. But you know, you know what? I, I, but when you talk about it, let me just suggest you use this phrase. Tell Jimmer, what doesn't kill you, Jimmer, makes you stronger. Mm. That's for makes me stronger. <laughs> that's for cliche day. Yeah, that's and you a, know what? That's another good cliche. I'd say you can't judge a Jimmer by the cover. No, that's that's a, that's, true. that's kind of a mix. I just made up. It's kind of a mix of a cliche, but I threw in a Jimmer. You can't judge. They, a Jimmer they put by their pants on the same way we do. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is true. That's a good one though for. Uh, you're trying to take are, his are team seriously, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, oh, oh, no, oh, no, or, or no, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's the, the other way underdog. around. I will never. I don't care what anybody says as an athlete. Like, oh, like certain teams, I can't take you serious. Like, it, yeah, I just can't. But there's t- other times where you know other teams may be more uh, intimidating. Yeah. So you can say, hey, you know what? They earned a scholarship just like you did. Yeah. You know, we put. Our pants on the same. They way. put your pants on the same way. <laughs> did, did they say it with that speech impediment? It's Lou Holtz. Is that how Lou? Yeah, that is Lou Holtz. Mm-hmm. Lou Holtz sings the hits. I love Lou Holtz. Yeah, I want to do that for a Christmas album or something. You'd be. 
Yeah, you, have you know what? I think. <laughs> Coming this fall. And one of the great coaches, really. Oh, man. Yeah, he makes a lot of motivational issues, speaking. Hey, are you guys, is he on your show today? Are you guys going to bring him on the show? No, Mm-mm. but uh, Blaine Fowler's on the show. Yeah, of course. Breakdown football and good Uncle stuff. B, yeah. Mike Littlewood, baseball coach. He just recently went to America Samoa, where mm. they were trying to teach the people baseball. He also uh, gave an officiating basketball clinic because he used to do that. Cool. Uh, in men's hoops, and then Jake Taylor, uh, all-American swimmer for BYU. But we're going to discuss uh, who with Adam Hine back. BYU starting running back earlier in the season. Yeah, who's going to lead? BYU in rushing yards this weekend because the combined uh, kind of top three guys, mm-hmm. and you add in Riley Burt, who may play this week as well. BYU's got a nice little stable running back. Don't you think? We'll break that down. But Hine's going to say he's going to lead it. Well, how? I mean, he's had 41 days off after a severe high ankle sprain. Yeah. Um, they thought it was broken at first. But uh, what, yeah, how, how much does he get run in this? And is San Jose State a trap game? Mm. We'll discuss that with Blaine because BYU is Missouri. Next week. Hey, ask ask Hine, is a severe high ankle sprain really just a calf sprain? <laughs> ask him. <laughs> at what point does it merge into the calf yeah. from yeah. the ankle? At what point? At what point does it On become a cankle? Right here. Yeah, ask him that. Just just say Matt wanted to know. Hey, guys, it uh, sounds like a great show. Knock him dead. And, um, you know, I hope your throat gets better, Jerem. We'll take it one show at a time. Man. And, and Brian, one, one stay on it. And don't stay too close to him. You know, things we talked about bacteria today, yeah, and they're getting passed around left oh, and right. I take airborne, so that's I'm good. good. That's good. And yeah. stay away from his microphone after he's used it. Airborne. Yeah. <laughs> good luck, kids. Have a great show. Knock them dead. And they're gone. They've got a great uh, little chemistry there. I kind of miss Spencer's because I want to find out about his baby. Spencer Linton has a baby, Jet. Jet Linton. A.K.A. Jet Fuel. A.K.A. Um, what was uh, what's his name? Song Elton John's Jet song. Benny and the Jets. Yeah, Benny. That was a he great. could be called Benny. Benny. That was a great song. By the way, Happy Housewife's Day, Cliche Day, as we've so beat that dead horse, and National Sandwich Day. The sandwich is believed to be the namesake of John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich, or in Austria, Sandwich. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. Is that how? Give us a German pronunciation of sandwich, please. Sandwich. Not even close. Uh, this day honors one of America's most popular lunch items, while the modern sandwich is believed to be named after Ben. Shut, shut your mouth, pal. Shut it up. Sorry. Shut it up. You are the messiest chewer. That just sounds messy. Holy cow. Hey, speaking of messy, listen to this. For all you caviar fans, police in Russia uh, stopped a hearse speeding on a highway, which, by the way, in and of itself is just kind of scary, only to find that a half, of ton, a half a ton of caviar was stashed inside the hearse. The Interior Ministries Department in the region said on Tuesday the hearse was caught speeding not far uh, from the Chinese border. When police officers asked the driver to open the car, they saw plastic containers with caviar hidden underneath uh, under the wreaths lying next to the casket. Isn't that crazy? So there's a casket in there. Uh, more caviar was found inside the casket, which did not contain a body except a ton of eggs, caviar eggs. <laughs> 
The driver and his partner, who had both worked for a funeral director, told the police that they had been hired by a man in the village who asked them to take the casket with the body of a female relative to a city morgue. The men insisted they had no idea what was inside the casket. They had no idea. So, hey, um, uh, are you free right now? Like, can you, you got a minute to run a favor for me? Can you take this casket with a dead body to the morgue? Well, sure. Sure we can. But they had no idea that there was a half a ton. They also, what, they didn't notice that the hearse was riding incredibly low? Come on. You knew. Quit your lying. Anyways, you know, we like to end the show talking about a hero. We want you to see the good in the world. And our hero uh, of the day today is uh, after 14 years of service, it's one retiring police officer decided to, he decided to spend his last day helping his community. So to honor his 14 years of service, this police officer did something that touched his entire community. As he patrolled the streets one last time, Commander Brian Peters, a retiring Minnesota police officer, decided to do things differently for his last day of work. Peters stopped random people in the street, particularly those with kids, and he handed out free gift cards to different grocery stores to help them buy any supplies that the family might need. Normally being stopped by a police officer can induce panic, but a number of lucky people were all smiles once they were approached by this officer. Peters gave out the equivalent of his last paycheck, saying, The citizens and city have been wonderful to me. I am very blessed, so it feels good to give back. Peters says he will continue to find ways to serve his city as he takes on his new position as a manager of Crisis Center at Target's Minnesota headquarters. So congrats to him. What a great, great guy. Commander Brian Peters, you are the hero of the day on the Matt Townsend Show. Good luck in your new endeavors. And folks, remember, you're all heroes. We all can offer something, give something. Just even the best of ourselves is maybe the the number one thing we need to give. Um, Sometimes, too, the best recipients aren't those out in the community, but just your family. So take your family aside. Make sure you take time with them. Love them. Take care of them. Give them what they need. And uh, keep listening to the show. We can't do it without you. We'll be back tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier, happier life. If you want to listen to the podcast, go ahead to uh, iTunes or tune in or go to BYUradio.org. You can download all of the past episodes or forward episodes onto your uh, friend's that might need a little leg up too. Until tomorrow, folks, take care of each other and make it a great one. We'll talk again tomorrow.